Patricia, my darling Patricia I can see all my dreams in your eyes Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia You could make all my dreaming come true My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling I'm falling in love with you Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, You could make all my dreaming come true My heart is just drooling Patricia, no fooling I'm falling in love with you Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday night, August the 27th, year 2016, and I want to say, right at the top, are there any other theme songs that have the word drooling in it besides the one we have for Patricia? I think maybe ones that we don't play. (laughs) That that is, and besides, there is no other show that plays Patricia anyway. Can I introduce our guest? Please do. Please do. Okay. We have a guest on the phone, and I am so excited that he's been able to set some time aside for us. We have Nolan Kenner. I know for several years and a couple of times a year, I say Nolan is the person whose voice you hear when Bill and Mike come on live from Monday through Thursday. And Nolan says, and here's Bill Bragg, and Bill loves it, and we love it, and Nolan, I'm so happy you're with us. Well, I'm glad to be here. Glad, glad to be anywhere. <laughs> you're so funny. Nolan has a couple of subjects that I picked, and he picked one that we'd like to talk about. But one of the things that Nolan is very, very good at is talking about Parkinson's and how it has affected people, how it affects people, what he does, and just go for it. You said something just before we started about 
changing lifestyle, not life. Would you say that again? Yeah, I um, made that up. I'll take credit for that. It affects your lifestyle, but doesn't doesn't take your life. And I love that. Nolan, how it, long ago how long ago were you diagnosed with Parkinson's? In two thousand one. So it's been quite a while. Yeah, it has. But you uh get used to doing some things that you didn't didn't do before and have to exercise a little more, which I'm guilty of avoiding when I can, but <laughs> I uh now, I, I, gave I, you... I have very good doctors and, and uh, a physical education teacher, and uh, I can see my physician regularly and read up and see how uh, Michael J. Fox is doing with his uh, malady with this, this uh, disease. It is a disease. Yeah. And that's where the, the contributions would go if anyone feels that they can help with the research, uh, just Michael J. Fox on any of the uh, search engines, and you'll, you'll get him and get the address. Wow. And, and Nolan, uh, I, you, just, you just blew one of my compliments to you when you said you sometimes avoid doing exercises whenever you can. One of the things that Nolan does, and he'll kind of blow it off, is follow through on absolutely everything. He you know, you brush your teeth twice a day and see your dentist twice a year type thing. He sees his doctor regularly. He does all of the exercises that are recommended. He does everything that the physical therapists tell him to do. You are a dog and pony show for anyone who deals with ongoing challenges. You're just great. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you can look at it a couple of ways. You can just sit down and deteriorate, or you can kind of uh, keep pushing. Yeah. And uh, you, you give me way yonder, as Barney would say, too much credit. Uh, I'm just built-in lazy. <laughs> and <laughs> I, that uh, you need to, to work, I need to work on that part. I appreciate you mentioning it and uh, all the listeners that may have it. I, you have my sympathy and, and uh we we work this thing out. I think they are making some Alzheimer's practice out here with a stem cell um, procedure. Yes. And uh, that that is terminal. Uh, Alzheimer's apparent uh, is a killer. And uh, yeah. So hope they get that fixed. Then then turn to the to our problem. And some of the other things. Nolan, what were your first symptoms that made you sit up and take notice? Um, a, a warning signal? Yeah, what were the yes. first signs that gave you a signal that there was something wrong? Oh, um, one, one thing was I started to stutter, and that is uh, really not fun for an announcer. Yeah. Any of you? done that and that that terrified me because I had made my living doing that for uh, in the announcing field and, and, and management as well and the um, they followed up with the with the test and this uh, doctor in Atlanta I don't remember his name and I he had the bedside manner of a wombat <laughs> okay, and he came in that's good. 
he came in with his clipboard and said, uh, you have Parkinson's, it's uh, not a fatal disease, you can treat it with exercise and, and uh, diet, and I'll give you some things, and thank you for coming in. Well, thank you, fella. You just mapped out the rest of my life. It sounded like he was ordering a pizza. But uh, I can't, it's like blaming the mechanic, you can't do that. Wow. That's one thing that you and I had never covered was your initial diagnosis and what prompted you to see a doctor, but I had no idea you wound up with somebody who ate bricks for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, and we um, they sent me a little farther north, up to Jacksonville, to the mm-hmm. Mayo Clinic, and they, they specialize in, in this uh, minor problem. And uh, I really got some good advice and help up there and got me on... Uh, proper medication, which is critical. Uh-huh. I have to take it when they And uh, I have uh, some wonderful caregivers that keep me on the straight and narrow when they can. And they don't let you slough off on the exercises. <laughs> yeah. We, we go to them for that. So it's close by, and, and uh, yeah. I don't have any other than I could be listening to old radio instead of this. Wow. Well, you're my hero. I, I'm oh, really serious you. about it. I talk to Walden about this all the time. You are my hero. Oh, bless your heart. No, oh, bless your heart. And I'm serious about that. You know, I, I fuss and moan and say, oh, I've got to do my exercises. And then I think of you. And you're so uh-huh. open-minded, and you do these things because you know they're important and who cares if you take a day off once in a while? But honest to goodness, you are really an inspiration for me, and that's probably the best way to put it. Well, thank you. That's uh, nice to know. Thank you. Well, thank you, because you've really done a lot for me, and you didn't even know it, and I never told you about that. I'm sorry. Did was you that, know? That's the last All part right. of that. I, I want... If it's okay, I would like you to talk about your career that wound up in radio and five stations. Do I have that number correct, that you owned five radio stations? Yes, that's right. Okay, I've got the uh, number. That occurred, um, well, I sold them. Oddly enough, I have a guardian angel somewhere because uh, I had had the stations not all at once. Uh, in the beginning, I had two and bought one competitor out and later bought another competitor out and looked around and all of a sudden I had like, every radio station in the county except one. <laughs> and I didn't want it. It was so poorly run. But uh, I was, um, this is when we were going through the transition and the listeners are probably more aware of this and the radio fans are aware of this, that you could only own two radio stations in a market, an AM Uh and an FM. During the Reagan administration, who was a broadcaster, incidentally, and I think to help with this problem, could see through that and see that you could have two radio stations in a a market, you're going to play country and you're going to play talk, say, on on the other one. Well, Mm -hmm. somebody else comes into the market and buys your competitor, they have got to go against you. What you're playing, they've got to play in order to compete. 
you want to go with the number one format. And the country has had that um, honor for quite a few years. Yeah. But the the a friend of mine was a broker who bought and sold radio stations, uh, like any realtor, except it's a lot of zeros on the on the numbers that they <laughs> they deal with. But I, uh, my, I told my um, well, this law got passed. It said, yes, you can own as many radio stations as are available. And you, you can see that that would improve the situation because if you had your country station and the fellow comes in behind you and he, he's going to do country too, you've got them competing and not serving the community as well as they could if they, they split that up. But country on one and adult contemporary on the other and talk on that and not have this constant battle of one-on-one. I yeah. think it's healthier to have a, 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 a larger menu to choose from for, for the listeners. Uh-huh. And I called, uh, my brother friend called and uh, said, you know, the, the Clear Channel folks are buying up everything in, in sight uh, as far as radio is concerned and uh, some television, but they're on a feeding frenzy. <laughs> and <laughs> would, would you, if I uh, pitched your station, and uh, so he called me, and I said, yeah, uh, see, see what they can do and when they can do it and what I need to do here. And uh, so he said, okay, I'll get back with you. And it wasn't 10 minutes. He called back, and he said, they made an offer on the phone. I said, well, send on the phone. Oh, that's <laughs> a little time pass. <laughs> so as it turned out, it was... Uh, the offer you couldn't refuse, or whatever that was, and uh, make yeah. an offer. I said, "Well, this uh, took place as I was being diagnosed, and the uh, Parkinson's was uh, increasing, and the, the symptoms were increasing, and um, could not have been at a better time because I needed to get out of the way at this point because I was uh, having some symptomatic problems." Yeah. And uh, so they made it possible for me to uh, retire. And very, very fine folks. Uh, they're, they're huge. They're just as uh, big as they get. And they're from, uh, they're from Texas, basically. And I guess uh, Bill and everybody from there would agree that Texas is pretty nice folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so that, that brought you to uh, the end or the beginning of a, a retirement. Um, well, it was the beginning of retirement, but the end of your broadcasting story, and you've got a rich one. Do I remember correctly that you were working at a radio station when you were, I'll say, a kid? A, a pig? A what? kid. <laughs> no, when you were... When, <laughs> to pronounce pronounce my words better no when you were a young person and that's that's better when you were really young you were working at a radio station did i remember that correctly your memory sign and so is your diction it's my ear not hearing your words but yes Uh, i i I, um was friends with a radio station's manager we had mm -hmm. uh, one station at the time in dalton georgia and I um, had gone up to the radio station to watch them work, 
with the invitation of a salesman who sold time for the station. And I asked him, I said, do you ever have visitors or tours? Or can you? Because I was, first of all, interested in the technical side. I could not understand how, uh, say, uh, Paul Harvey in Chicago could do his column uh, or his radio show and have it come out on a telephone line in, in Dalton and then put on another line and take it out to the river where the transmitter was and that and open that all to the, to the public. Well, it's probably a simple matter now. Everybody knows how it works. But I, I just got enamored with it and stayed with it for the rest of my career. And I filed records at the radio station. I, I had um, the uh, money problem, like most most teenagers, you had to work to, to earn a, an allowance. It wasn't just given to you. Yeah. And I tried to uh, tell my kids about that. And they, Dad, we've heard this one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> get out there. And, and uh, so I, I was walking home from school one day, and uh, freshman year, uh, uh, eighth grade maybe, uh, with Bruce and some other friends. And I said, you know, I really am interested in electronics. And do you think your dad has any kind of opening for any kind of job up there that a kid could do? And he said, I'll ask him. He said, I don't know why. And I, I thought, well, that's that. Uh, you know, he, he's a nice guy, but he, he, he'll never remember that. And lo and behold, two days later, his dad called me and said, could you come by this the station, and I said, I sure can. And before he could hang the phone up, I was at his door. <laughs> and I didn't, didn't want to appear too over-anxious. But I said, um, uh, Mr. Davies, I'm here to, to talk about the job. And he said, well, it's not a lot of money. I'm going to tell you right up front, but you, um, it'll give you a chance to see what, what we do and what, what it's all about. And I said, uh, well, fine. He said, I can only pay you $7.50 a week. And that was one day out of the week. And I uh, tried to act calm and take it nonchalantly. Seven, that was 750% more than I was getting while walking in the door. <laughs> so it sounded fine to me. I, I thought if I ever wrote a book, I'd either, either have a title or uh, have a a chapter dedicated to growing up poor on the on the right side of the track. Oh, I love that. I, I love that. The uh, reason for that is that my grandfather was very successful in the chenille bedspread business. And if you know anything about uh, carpeting, you buy it for your home or whatever, you know that Dalton is the headquarters and birthplace for the chenille business which develops into carpet. No and, kidding, uh, I did not know that. Uh, and uh, if you ever see, uh, I wrote mean, a carpet and has uh, uh, Shaw Carpet on S H A W. That's a company Dalton, and uh, they ship carpet wor- worldwide, and it's um, really gone through many phases to get to where it is today. But it's a uh, big business. And I had wow. the honor of, I got called back, I guess I was the only kid announcer in the, the class that it was, it was worked in radio was an announcer. He asked me to come back and MC the program where they uh, inducted Deborah Norville. And 
to the Hall of Fame. She's from Dalton, and uh-huh. very, very proud of her. And I was proud of the opportunity to to meet her and her, her small child at the time. This is uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we did that, and then did, did the rest of them. They did a series of about five years, and were kind enough to invite me back. I, it was a, uh, a real thrill, and the uh, about the Parkinson's would really put this in the in the uh, dustbin, as they say in England, because uh, a stuttering MC is not good unless you're yeah. Daffy Duck. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to sound like that. So I had I would naturally I was practicing every day and just doing my work. Because I had several clients that wanted me to do their commercial, and uh, they didn't hear well either. <laughs> but the uh, end result was uh, that exercise gave me exercise that I needed to uh, avoid the threat stuttering as, as I stutter yeah. along. I had um, oh, I, they sent me for uh, rehab. I hate that that word is so misused, but. This is, is in the case of, of Parkinson's. They work on some of your sim, uh, symptoms. And the, uh, one of the, the things that you would do is hold a note as long as you could. Ah. And I said, 90 days or 120. No, a, mm-hmm. a, a note for a music, musical note, but it doesn't have to be perfect. All yeah. I want to do is I can breathe. And uh, I said, oh, well, I understand and, and it, you just make a sound like, uh, and hold that for as long as you can. So he started to watch, and I started that horrible sound. <laughs> when he turned the watch off and looked at me and said, what do you do? I said, what do you mean what I do for a living? He said, you've just broken the, the record on holding that note. Anybody we've had through here in the last two years. Wow. And I couldn't believe it, but what I realized what it was, you, uh, you learn breath control, and uh, when you're reading commercials, you take, I do, this is my, the way I do it, I take on as much air as I can in the beginning, and make a, take a breath at every period, don't skip it, a chance to take another breath, and uh, it'll, it'll get you through, and yeah. so I was taking, I learned to take, I fill my lungs completely, and then a little bit more, like a, like a skin diver would do, I guess. And uh-huh. uh, that that um, helped me through the announcing part of it. Another sure. one, another part of it was the um, that you lose the range in your voice. You can't. You get to the point where you can't go low enough, or you can't go high enough. Uh-huh. And it's kind of a monotone sound that I certainly didn't like in the first time. I started hearing myself recorded. I, I got very uh, depressed. And um, then the real bomb dropped when I, I developed the worst cold I've ever had in my life. I was just coughing my lungs up and uh, could not could not get uh, relief from that, from all the cough medicines and everything I tried. Well, eventually, with the doctor's help and uh, some rest and yeah. the right medication, it went away, and I got my voice back. Wow. Uh, so it was a trying time. 
really, because you, you can't help but think I, I brought two children in the world with this voice, and uh, I'm going to go out with it, but uh, it served a purpose there. And neither of the children were interested in broadcasting, incidentally. And I think that's because they they see the dark side of it. The, the, by that, a dad being rolled out in the morning because the morning guy on the country station yeah. is, can't come in. So yeah. you're going to have to do it. They see that. See that we, we get, try to stand up politics, and somebody would say we were endorsing somebody when we weren't. <laughs> all the fun things that go with that. Yeah. And they, they see that. And uh, so my son's very happy with the, his uh, uh, job with AT&T. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been with them you know, almost 20 years. And my daughter works over in. Uh, uh, in the Cincinnati area, she was a flight attendant, and the airline she worked for went belly up. And the uh, they had uh, casino gambling uh, at, at this uh, area of uh, Newport, Kentucky, mm-hmm. and right in there around Illinois. And um, so the girls went over there, and she was not alone. She got everything she needed and went over and auditioned for the. <laughs> She didn't audition. She applied for this job and got uh, got picked. And she's has liked it ever since. And she doesn't have a problem of being around the gambling or the money or that sort of thing. So I'm really proud that she could carve out another career for herself, and which the, the airline was not her doing. It just happened. Yeah. Nolan, what does she do at the casino? Uh, she is the one that goes around with the, takes the drink orders and, and places the bed. For the, okay, the she's car. not a dealer. <laughs> she doesn't. No. She doesn't whip the cards out. Okay. Uh, yeah, she's she's dealt me a few cards, but that's been mostly good. <laughs> you are too funny. Nolan, can we talk about your time overseas and what happened there? You've got a great story from that with your Air Force, uh, not Air Force, your um, Armed Forces Army. Radio. Um, I had heard about this from a, a local recruiter, another uh, another incident where uh, a friend's dad was in the, the particular business. I wanted information uh, to, to look into further. And the um, MOS, it's called the job, your job description in the Army and or any other branch of the service. And um, so went to basic training and went through all of that, and then they sent us to the Army's version of uh, announcing school or, or radio training or newspaper training. You had all, all three. And mm-hmm. then um, at the end of that period, they p- pick a place for you to go, and I had chosen Germany. Um, the, the Vietnamese were not dropping a lot of bombs on Germany at the time, and I thought I'd better get in there quick. Never know what may happen, but I'm yeah. proud to say that the Vietnamese fighter plane did not get within 3,000 miles of Frankfurt, Germany. Way to go! And you can't. We had a lot to do with that. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. I can't help but drift off. I know <laughs> you're you're good at that. So what happened over there? You have a great story. Uh, a great story. Yes. Well, you have a you have a million, but there's one in particular. Would you talk about what you were doing over there and then what you got sent out to do on that special assignment? 
Oh, okay. Um, the day was, was a typical broadcast day, like any radio station in the country, other than we played programs that had been repackaged in the, uh, the network programs. We had gun smoke, and they, they took the cigarette commercials out and packaged it and put it on an LP and shipped it over along with Dragnet and any other uh, show that was chosen. And at the time I was getting there, this is uh, pre-television. There was no television in, in uh, the Armed Forces, television in, at the base in Frankfurt. So everything was strictly radio. And uh didn't hurt my feelings because they were going back and playing it. It, it. it was almost like radio in 54 or 53, somewhere in there. And uh -huh. all the shows we loved, uh, I was getting to play on this huge network. It, it was... Uh, in, in this country, in the United States, 50,000 watts AM is the limit. And this station over there, without its affiliates, was 150,000 watts. And it's um, a real blowtorch. And the um, programming was block programming, like you might have an hour of country and then an hour of uh, dinner music and all, all around the clock and all over the clock. And... I know when I first went in to uh, read my first newscast on the network, the fellow that wrote it, first of all, they, it was interesting to me, the first thing they do is have you read the newscast and they time you to see how many words you read in uh, four and a half minutes. And it varies with all of us. You know, you're going to go one way or another uh, yeah. differently. And um, I walked in there and he said, now, when you fellas first start off over here, we only carry that newscast in France. And I said, well, you would know how relieved I am to know that I'm going to be in a market. I'm from Chattanooga, incidentally, and you're only going to live in maybe one country. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, we got trained in that area, and then also the production, which I, I, I dearly loved. I was, had to take um, the Lone Ranger separated into five episodes. It was played oh. for after school and uh, in, in serial form. And it worked very well because Franz Stryker and those guys wrote those. I, honestly, it seems that every four and a half minutes something, some action would take place. Well, of course, that's where you get out, the cliffhanger. And yeah. I was knocking up every day and doing my announcing shift and, uh, and the most, doing the most popular program uh, on the air was simple, simply dinner music. Played around 7 o'clock and with instrumentals and um, Frank Shacksfield was one I think of because he wrote me a note thanking me for play, playing his music. And uh, little did they know I didn't have that many instrumentals to choose from but <laughs> I also liked it. And um, I had a, a girl girlfriend took me home to meet her parents uh, and I was a little nervous about that because not knowing how, what their political leanings might have been or what they how they felt about World War World War Two. And uh, I, she was explaining what I did, and I heard her say, "He he's so in German. She's speaking him, picking up a little word or two every every now and then." Said that he is host of music in the air, music in the Luft, and. Uh, and there was another lady there, and she lit up like, oh, yeah. 
And I, I said, you know, I really should be paid more for being so famous. <laughs> <laughs> Were they on your side? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. We got along oh, fine. <laughs> I had, okay. Um, I All right. Flowers, Can... flowers to the mother. And somebody at the station cautioned me. One of the Sherman employees said, be careful what you do because if you take her a certain number of flowers, you're proposing. <gasps> Is that true? Oh, Lord, don't let me miscount here. <laughs> I think I've come this far. I'm not going to get married in a foreign country. And, oh, uh, my gosh. Would, Nolan, was that true, or was he teasing you? You know, to this day, he might have been put on my leg. It might have been. I, I'll have to look that up. It may no. such a story. I never questioned it. No, don't don't look it up, because if it's not true, it'll be a, a terrible thing. That's a great yeah. story. Been telling that for twenty years. Oh my gosh! Well, I never heard it. This is the first one for me. I, I never heard that. So, tell me how you got out to the airport tarmac, and you didn't know why you were there. Well, this was um, 1964, and the Beatles just arrived from a, a concert tour in Australia, and they needed to land in Frankfurt to refuel to go on to London. And so somebody in the newsroom said, we got this story, it'll be a fluff piece, it's something you can do if you want to, it's just, we'll use it as a feature, and uh, get a driver and go out there. And so I got out of the car and was parked and walked in this huge crowd of teenagers mixed with every reporter in the area, or in the country, practically. And the... Uh, so I, I thought, well, this is... Uh, not going to go well. <laughs> I'm not going to get a, uh, anything that's going to be worth taking back. So I, I, but I will get some interviews from the teenagers, and I'll get some ambient noise and things that we can mix together and make make it lively. And so I got my first interview with a very young and excited teenager, and I walked around the toward the uh, rear of the plane, and just watching their reaction, trying to get some of it on tape. And Ringo Starr looked down and saw my AFN microphone. And we had introduced the Beatles to, uh, to, to Europe, German and, Germany in particular. We had quite an audience of teenagers because radio was so dull. If you were to read the uh, program schedule that the Germans had morning, it would be, first of all, you would hear a politician every morning. Then there would be a religious interlude, and then you might be going to, into classical music. Well, it's not going to bring too many teenagers to the radio. But the, in the afternoon, we were playing all the rock and roll they wanted. Now, now this is, understand, now we're playing this for the servicemen. That's why we're there, to make sure they're yeah. entertained and informed. But you pick up this residual audience, uh, they just can't help it. And uh, so Ringo looked down and said, Hey, I said, I said, Yes, can I uh, talk to you? I can get up there. He motioned for me to come up there. He was at the top of this gangway, they call it over there, the steps they rolled up to the side of the plane. He was on that at the very top, and the rest of it was completely clogged with kids and, and reporters, which is a dangerous combination. But I, I said, let me see if I can get up there. And I, I climbed up the side of the gangway, which was these uh, braces that held it together. This is strictly uh, no-tech 
yeah. arrangement. You just roll yeah. the steps up and stand down. And I, I managed to cut. I had a new. Uh, we had the best equipment they made, and this was a uh, Nagra tape recorder, which was for what it did. It was small in size, but it was about the size of a double briefcase. And I had that slung wow. on my shoulder. I said, "This basic training is coming in favor now." And I got up to the top, and now here I am with an open microphone. I'm standing with the the most familiar face, well, one quarter of the most familiar faces in the world at that time. And my first question is, which beetle are you? <laughs> you didn't know. And No, and I had a good excuse. It's hard, and I try to explain it every time. We didn't get uh, trade magazines and album covers that were non-existent. They re repackaged the albums and put them with an army label on it, shipped it yeah. out, and you had, you know what these people look like. And uh, so... He, he was very congenial and said, uh, I'm Ringo, and uh, shook his hand, glad to meet you. And we had heard some trouble about uh, a little rioting going on at the concert. You can imagine how huge it is, or was, because of the the size of the country. Mm -hmm. And I think they were all there. And uh, he said, a lot of people have had some, uh, heard of some trouble, but there were about five people out of how many thousands were there? He said it wasn't a big deal. I said, did the press get it out of proportion? He said, they always do. Mm. And I, I, I had a great line that I thought of going home. You know, that's the way I work. I get the best ideas going <laughs> home, and I get the best ideas in the shower. Yeah, exactly. I, I know I went to, a, I had a staff meeting one day at the station down here in Florida and called everybody in, and I said, had a great inspiration this morning in the shower, and here's what we're going to do. And I <laughs> just fell dead. Right, right, they had no enthusiasm for it whatsoever. And oh, the older, older DJ said, "You know, uh, Chief, I think you ought to go take another shower." <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they appreciated what you said. I have said for years that I get my best ideas and best thinking standing in the shower. Yeah. I'm so it's, happy to meet you. Well, you're alone, and you're getting the nice feel of the warm water. and It's uh, a real treat. Yeah. I stand. It, I it is, and I'm so happy that you said that. I thought I was a standalone here. No, I'm sure there are a lot of us. Oh, but, good um, deal. Now, I, do, I, do I remember correctly, Nolan, that Frank Brzee and you were spending time in the same place? Yeah, that that was a, a chance situation. Um, trying to think exactly how it happened. Oh, I know what it was. He, he Frank needed some film uh, for a dangerous assignment television show delivered to a, an office in Frankfurt. Uh -huh. And uh, apparently it's very hard to ship exposed film across uh, and then uh, country to country, mm -hmm. and uh, but you could ship the GI anything you wanted to, and if he wanted to help out with this situation, because I, I was impressed with him from the very beginning, he he had come to the station to uh, the network to because he was an old time radio collector and an actor in his youth, as we all know now that 
listen regularly to Yesterday USA. Um, and, and Rick Scary, too, whose uh, voice you hear time to time on Y USA. And we were contemporaries and of the same age and similar background. His was a much bigger uh, market experience mm-hmm. than mine, but we had the same goals and likes and dislikes. And um, so that's how we were introduced to, to Frank. And then Frank needed this film delivered. He sent that uh, over. I took it down. I felt like I was in a, a, a Boston Blackie episode. <laughs> all this intrigue, you know, and uh, all yeah. this very un- unassuming uh, office, but they were very glad to see me. And I, I gave them the film and wished them a theater thing. Mm-hmm. And I left, left that there and went to uh, back to work, back to the real work. Then a few days, uh, this big package arrived for me, uh, and I had to pick it up down in the, the office. And the, post, the delivery were all made at the rear of the of the castle. That's another story. And um, had no idea what this was. I saw it was a California postmark, and then I saw Frank's name on there. I called him Frank Breezy the first time I met him. I was going <laughs> to interview him. He said, that's, that's yeah. Breezy. <laughs> it's it's that's bouquet, not bucket. <laughs> you like that one too, eh? <laughs> yeah. That's a great uh, show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what this was was a, a, a game, a board game that Frank had uh, invented and worked, worked it out, and it was called Pass Out, and still is. Mm-hmm. Still, and it, it was like Monopoly, except you didn't lose a step, you took a drink every time you landed on this particular place. <laughs> So, and then you had to say, uh, deeper into the game, you had to, uh, oh, do a, a tongue twister, which is, uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard after, especially German beer is fatal. I mean, it's so strong. Yeah, but, good stuff. <laughs> well, I, I, well, I gave everybody one that wanted one, and I had a couple left over. And, um, so we went to the German guest house. It's called Gast, G-A-S-T. Mm-hmm. And and it's a family type situation. They have kids there, but they serve beer and wine. And um, so we ordered dinner, and then we started playing this game at the table. And one by one, the German national would come over and look over our shoulder and, and watch us for a while. And somebody kind of was is low, seeing, and he was playing in German. I think what they're doing is, <laughs> and it was not. <laughs> Just an excuse for British Taiwan on, and so uh, that's where I met Frank, and he, he was very successful with that. I think he could, and then that allowed him to follow his passion, which was old radio. Yeah, and he was Little Beaver on the Ranger series, uh, Riders, Red Riders series on radio. Uh-huh. I think we all know that by now. And Nolan, uh, um, when did you reconnect with Frank? Let me think. Uh, oh, he invited uh, Rick and I to, to come by and see him after he got settled back in California. And I, I said, uh, I called Rick. I, I said, I think I'm going to stay on the East Coast for now, but I, I want to take Frank up on his offer. And mm-hmm. uh, well, Rick said, I am going to take him up, and I'm, I'll see you out there eventually. I said, great. So I 
I got my little resume and my, uh, <laughs> my shiny suit and got, and got in the car and went to Miami, which was the largest market in the, in the state, and therefore would have the biggest radio station in the state. So I was going to start at the top and work, work my way through. And it turned out when I went to this station in Miami, it, it was um, 50,000 watt uh, AM, and it was so powerful that they, they shared a frequency with the station in New York and had wow. to come back on the, every uh, afternoon at sunset so that they wouldn't wow. override up there. And uh, I had a, a fellow call me one afternoon. He said, you know, every afternoon when I'm driving home from work, when I get to a certain point, you give a traffic report for the Veras and Elwood Bridge in New York City. He said, I'm not that. And I had to explain to best I could that uh, that happens because we, we turned our transmitter off and it allows that signal to come in just for five to six seconds. And then you go back to it. Well, what I learned after being there for a while is that that particular service or, or company was chosen to uh, transmit two submarines off the, uh, off the coast during the Bay of Pigs invasion. Oh. They, so this, the, the chief engineer and the manager were the only people that knew this was going on. And so they no longer shut down and uh, backed off on the power at 5.30 or 6.30, whatever it might be. They just let it ride. And then we started getting requests for a salesperson to come see them about advertising in Fort Lauderdale and North. Well, this was because the... At sunset, the signal just went crazy, went yeah. all the way to Cuba, easily all, all the way to Cuba, and uh, which is another story. I'm going to bore you to death here if you let me. Where was I? We were well, we got the. the well, we we the were sun. talking about Frank Brzee, and you said you had decided you went out to see him, but you decided you were going to stay on the East Coast, and that's how you got to Miami. When yeah. when you and Frank wound up doing work for Yesterday USA, how uh, how how did I, I'm all confused here? Now you and Frank were working for Yesterday USA. When did you connect there? Oh gosh, uh, let me think. Oh, I know what it was. I was, I was leaving the station one one afternoon. The chief engineer had a uh, radio digest magazine. He was showing it to me. He said, "This fellow." plays old radio shows on the on the internet. No, we didn't have the internet on on the satellite. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a hobby for him and, and so I uh really like the idea of being able to play those things and hear them again and do it legally. And <laughs> um, so he um, gave me the address and I, I wrote the bill and uh, he asked for a tape and I sent it to him and, the rest is history, and that, that was about, gosh, um, early 80s, I think, would be right. Been with him a long time. Haven't got a yeah. single raise. So was Frank doing work for Yesterday USA at that time? Yes. Um, yes, he was. And I think at that time they were putting the golden days of radio on, which was his show that uh -huh. ran so, so many years. That was like coming home for you. Yeah, really. 
Really? Tell me about the Flashback Express that you did for Yesterday USA. Well, that um, that was what I did when I spoke of when I started. That was the first thing I did, and uh, I, I did a few specials uh, along the line, and uh, but mainly it was was the weekly uh, or daily hour show. Mm-hmm. As most of you know, it runs your show runs two weeks, and. Uh, then you put on a fresh one. So tell me about the show itself. Most of our listeners did not have an opportunity to hear the Flashback Express while it was playing. What did you do with it? Uh, it was very low-key and low-tech. Uh, I would get as much information as I could about the show I was going to play, and the, the year is important, and uh, the, the time of the year is also nice to know you couldn't always get this information you have a good show you want to play but you didn't know what to talk about yeah so mainly let the show speaks for itself and get the best quality i can find and also try to include two 30-minute programs and a a little uh feature it might might be johnny carson looks at nbc comedy which is what Uh i ran for this week and um that sort of thing it really gives you a a good field for uh, uh, using your talents as, as an editor because that was what I did a lot of my time was in the production yeah. side, which I really loved. Did but, you uh, have did you have a favorite genre that got more airtime than others? I I really am original with this gun smoke. Ah. Uh. <laughs> the cat the guys just love gun smoke really. Yeah. More mail than anything. And, How about uh, on the Flashback Express? Did you play more of one particular kind of show? No, I I really played uh, detective and westerns oh, and yeah. uh, comedy sprinkled in. And we just lost the woman's listener vote. I can tell that. <laughs> but you do what you got to do. Yeah. Did you ever hear back from any of the listeners that they were out there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I saved several of them because nobody would believe me. (laughs) But but, uh, I've been proposed to, I've been sworn at, and and almost any language you could imagine. Uh, But in the main, they were were nice, and some even sent gifts. You had to be careful of that. Really? No pale. Yeah, the, the, there was no pale in, in Germany that I knew about, although I yeah. was on the listen to programs on the air. No fault yeah. of mine. It's just timing, getting there at that time. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I tried to explain to my kids what pale was, and they, of course, were not born when it was going on. Sure. But for the benefit of those that don't know, it was paying a radio station or a disc jockey to play your music as, as an artist. And it was going to advance your career, supposedly. In some cases, it ruined a few careers, almost ruined Dick Clark's career. did um, ruin, uh, I'll, blank, I'll go blank on the names of the disc jockeys that were involved. Alan Freed, you heard that name? He, he was big no. in New York. No, no. Dick Clark, of course, we know or knew because of his continuing work. But no, uh, Freed, I did not know. 
I didn't think he invented the, the, uh, frame, the phrase rock and roll. Right, he did. Thank you. Yep. Where did that voice come from? <laughs> <laughs> He's there. He's the one with the buttons. That's that guardian angel I was telling you about. Yes, yes. I, th- I always say he's the one with the buttons. The, the what? Oh. <laughs> with the buttons, yeah. He makes us, he makes us happen. Yeah. Nolan, out of the, this is really a hard question, and then I want to talk about Miami for a second because you had a crisis in Miami that was very unusual. Of all the time that you spent from the time you were 17 and started working in a radio station to this day, what are the two things that stand out in your entire career? Oh, well, one, one occurred in Miami, obviously. Um, that okay, that's, that's one. Okay. Um, and I have to say that I've got more mileage out of the Beatles interview than anything I ever did. And it was <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> 15 and we were getting letters from radio stations out west asking to yeah. a copy of it. And uh, the, uh, I, I did not want that part to go on the air. I, the newsman grabbed the tape as it came in the door, and they had it on the air within 10, 10 15 minutes after I'd been home. And they didn't queue past the opening, which was uh, which is an identification that normally tells what's on the tape. Yeah. And I, I I'm getting my notes together, and I said, "Now, which people are you?" And oh, said, I'm gee. And then, then it, it took off from there. And I, uh, again, we had not seen what Ringo looked like. And uh, again, it's uh, one quarter of the most visible and most familiar faces in yes. the world at that time. But you know that that probably on a radio broadcast played okay because you let him identify himself as opposed to saying we're talking with Ringo Starr. You let him identify. So why wouldn't that play okay? That's good. I appreciate that. You, you give me new new angle uh, to, to watch that. Yeah. If you were doing television, it might be a problem. But um, No, I, I, would, I would think, and, you know, it's like introduce yourself to our listeners. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Here he is. Who is he? Uh, who are you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Which one are you? <laughs> I love this. Okay, last question, and I know I'm overstaying my welcome here. Tell me about Miami, the story in Miami when you were doing work over there. Oh, um, Larry King was doing an afternoon talk show on a local station, the NBC affiliate. I was, I was on the ABC affiliate. I'm not comparing our talent or our broadcast experience. I'm just saying where I was when he was. Yeah. And uh, I met him once, and he, he was a nice guy. He just couldn't handle money. He'd gone through about three wives and, hmm. and just um, finally married one the fourth time that was a bookkeeper or had new, new money and knew how to take care of it. Got him straight on the narrow, and he uh, fell off the wagon. Went back to the gambling. There are several tracks down there, horse racing, you know, in Miami. Yes. That was easy for somebody with that malady to, to get in trouble. Uh, the, uh, I think it's, it's almost like the experience with the, the newscast in France when 
they said we're uh, 50,000 watts, and we're, Mr. Shore is very proud of his property here, and he listens all the time in the Bahamas. So here you are <laughs> coming out of the cold of Germany and now going into the tropics and yeah. space situation. Oh, well, I'm glad you're uh, telling me all this because my biggest market was Frankfurt. I said, Kentucky, no, <laughs> Germany. <laughs> but That's Kentucky funny. can come in late. Um, so yeah. I was I DJed from two in the afternoon till six at night, and uh, the thing. Uh, oh, I know one. You you like because you you heard. Uh, I tell Sally stories all the time. It's like she's my Lucy. Uh, Lucy that's series. the one. Yes. You know her. That's, and, that's uh, the one I want to hear. Yeah. Okay. And Sally passed away about three years ago. Um, wonderful spirit and a great inspiration for me. Um, but she was on the the, the last. Well, I'm, I'm mixing stories here. Uh, I wanted to say the most memorable would have been the, the one I'm about to tell in, in the Beatles. Um, and this was uh, out of Miami, where we were. Uh, Sally was a flight attendant, and I was a disc jockey. And we were just rolling in money. <laughs> and a lot of sarcasm there, in case you didn't get it. Um, I did. But you got to start somewhere. So uh, I started at the biggest station in the state. I was proud of that fact. But um, Sally was flying this, uh, or working this flight back from San Francisco, where coincidentally we took uh, our honeymoon flight was from. Miami to New Orleans, and so the, on the return flight, she was working at, and two uh, goons got on the airplane with a handgun and threatened the, the crew and everybody that was in the way to get out of the way, and we were going to take this plane to Cuba. What what had happened is that there was a, some sort of political. Uh, crooked son of a gun that needed to be back in Cuba to face the music. And the officials weren't getting it done, so these guys were going to do it. And they they managed to do it. They, they, the pilot said, we do not have enough fuel to get back to home base if you make us fly to Cuba. And they weren't terribly concerned. And then they got down there, the pilot, the captain, offered his credit card, and he said, Give me what you can. He says, I've got to get these people back to the United States. And it's, it's 90 miles. Uh, you're not exactly out of reach of civilization. Yeah. But she, uh, but Sally was, uh, oh, she, she, it turned out she was senior on the flight. She had more time in the air than uh, the other girls. So she said, now take all of your wedding rings, your jewelry, and put it in your bra. And she said I was <laughs> said I was telling them to do something that I could hardly do and it just fell through. And she's always making jokes on herself. And um, so after failing to take the pilot's uh, SO card or golf, they wired money to um, to pay for the fuel from uh, through Mexico. Yeah. Well, it hit the time just for siesta time, which would be everybody's luck. The banks were closed okay. for two hours. 
And then when it finally opened, they got the money and uh, they cleaned the windshield, filled it up, and brought it home. <laughs> That's about it. about the end of that. But it was really the beginning because they gave people something to work toward, and more more of that hijacking stuff went on afterwards. Yeah. And that uh, was quite. Nolan, do I remember, I keep asking you if I remember correctly, and I really mean it, that you were broadcasting the happenings of this hijacking, and you knew Sally was on the flight, but you were at work at the time. Yeah, I was, I was on the music side, disc jockey. And uh, the bulletin came on, and the National Airlines plane had been hijacked to Cuba, the flight so-and-so from from San Francisco, and yeah. I was—I jumped up and grabbed the, uh, my briefcase, and I had a flight schedule, and they had the, 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 the planes scheduled and so forth. And sure enough, it, it, it had a Sally's crew on there. Yeah. So I went—I went back. Um, I was in the lunchroom, and that happened. And I went back to the studio, and I said, "Well, I'm not going to dwell on this because it's, it's my problem, and I don't think." Uh, the listeners should be subjected to what goes on in my private life, although it's beginning to get very, very uh, public. Yeah. I had a call from an Army buddy in, let's see, in, in uh, Philadelphia that said, uh, what's going on? I heard uh, Sally was hijacked. And I said, yeah, that's... He said, well, let me get, get some tape up here, and I want to talk to you. Well, that's okay. an old reporter. And most, uh, most of us know about that one. You get the person at ease talking about one-to-one, and you're actually taping what you want to use on the air. Because people have a tendency when they're interviewed to put on airs or uh, get, get affected in their speech and things, things of that nature. So he was quite good yeah. at this. And um, so I, I didn't say anything about I know what you're doing. I just let it go. Then uh, I... At this point, we had not—they hadn't tied me into this at all—and then it became a story because they were getting calls from other stations wanting to know what's he doing, how's he related to this woman, and what's what's yeah. going on. And uh, she, uh, uh, and they all returned safely, just kind of shaking a bit. But it was Sally's 15 minutes of fame. She was uh, interviewed by. They took took me off the air and put, took me to the airport. But it was very kind of them, and they uh, took um, pictures and did things of that nature. We had, they, there's a strict rule in that airline about not showing what is it? Uh, uh, oh, affection, public affection. Oh yeah, okay. And uh, there's one very large kiss being delivered on the front page of the Miami Herald. So, I think you sent me a copy of that picture. Yeah, that's been one of our favorites. Yes, and, yeah. and I, I can understand that. I, I, got, I, got a funny, I got a funny question about that. Did Sally get paid, yeah, did Sally get paid overtime? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Did Patricia. Sally get paid overtime for her time in Cuba? <laughs> no, they gave me a cigar. They brought me a cigar. That was about the only remuneration we had for that. It's just and that was it? 
Oh, man. They, they should have given her a free vacation somewhere. Yeah, you, you would think. Um, one of her best friends married the, the uh, airline president, or owner of National Airlines. Oh, gee. And, and she um, got to know him as well, and they got a few favors that way. They had an inaugural flight to uh, Belgium. Or, uh, gosh, I should hope so. That's a great but scary story. Very scary. I have one more what. question. One more question, Nolan, and then I will let you go because we've kept you for so long. You had some time with Fred Foy. Fred Foy, of course, was the announcer we're most familiar with for The Lone Ranger, and he did many other things, but he was also the voice for television. They had a recording of him for the television show. Tell me about your time with Fred Foy. Well, at the time, I was um, president of the national, the national, the local, the state broadcasters association. Uh-huh. And we had a coming up and needed a speaker and an idea for a program. And I said I had one, and I would like to invite Fred Foy down. And they said, Fred who? And explained who he was. Okay. Oh, I know that. Yeah. So he said, go for it. Work up a budget and see how we can do it the cheapest way, as, as most state organizations are. And actually, it was just an excuse for me to get down and ride around the car with Fred Foy. And I managed <laughs> I picked him up at the airport, came in. I picked him out of the crowd. Just and The plane was late, and uh, all kinds of people were coming toward me. And there came this, came this dapper man in a turtleneck and a, you know, a, a tan sports jacket. Uh-huh. And uh, I said, I'm Nolan Kenner. Well, I'm Fred Boyd. How are you? And so we, we go back um, to the station, and I got to ask him a lot of, a lot of questions about announcing and things that that uh, I touched on through the years and how how famous he is in broadcast circles. I don't know if any of the man had any idea that there were guys over in Frankfurt, Germany, listening to the Lone Ranger and picking out uh, the speech patterns and pronunciation and, uh, of, of words. And yeah. uh, because his was so perfect. And he's probably... My favorites were Fred Foy and Art Gilmore, and Art did movie trailers as well, and Fred did the trailer for Gone with the Wind when it was re-released. That's a pretty heavy assignment. Wow, and yes. So we got him, got to the airport, and I had, uh, oh, no, no, we got to the hotel, and um, they had arranged to have him come up to our, the president's suite and uh, visit and so forth, and I had gone through taking great pains to take that recording of the open that you're talking about and, and duplicating it without the um, announcer because we're going to bring him on live. Mm-hmm. So I got done and we, uh, we didn't say who he was. He was just sitting on the dais uh, uh, and everybody in the audience could see him but they didn't know who he was and the MC said we we're going to introduce the dais later on. You'll meet these people and everybody accepted that and uh, so the uh, mayor of the, of the uh, city and the little town in uh, west, eastern Kentucky, I'm trying to think of it, 
I'm, my agent's beginning to show. I'm winding down here. Um, but anyway, he was a good friend of mine, and he, his, his uh, mother was cooking dinner one night, and he's a young, young man, and he's listening to the Lone Ranger. And when it was over, he said, Mom, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And she said, be the Lone Ranger. No, be the man who tells about the Lone Ranger. Mm-hmm. And uh, so going full circle, we, we got him there and uh, played. I, I said, and I, I was, as I took over the MC job. And I said, um, and I read that story, and we, I, we had a poster uh, made of the front page where that story they were doing um, stories on small-town politicians, and uh, Walter was, was was one. He was mayor of the town. Pikeville, I thought it comes to the name, Pikeville, Kentucky. And um, so I, I said uh, we wanted to honor Walter tonight with this um, award. He got another award, and then this one was special, and it, it was a blown-up picture of the of the front page of the Louisville newspaper. And we had Fred write something on it and autograph it. And then I said, in a few minutes, I want you to come up here and get this. But right now, I want to tell anybody that doesn't know the story of how the Lone Ranger became the Lone Ranger, I can tell you in 90 seconds, and with a little help from uh, the narrator and the producer for listen carefully. So it got a big big round of applause and you know, a lot of people did remember how it became how it became the ranger and so he um, let's see yeah and nobody knows who Fred is so when I, I say if you like that you're going to love this and that was Fred's cue to change places with me at the podium lecture yeah. and order school and uh, he he I, he played that music that I'd Put on a cassette in those days, and uh, it worked fine. And he started into it, and he got on, did not get halfway through it. That the uh, audience reaction was so great that he had to stop. He, he, they couldn't hear him. <laughs> so, so he did. He did with the fiery horse and the whole, the whole oh, yeah. routine. He just got about about uh, the rest. Thundering hoofbeats of the great horse silver. And yeah. it, the, all these big kids are, you know, <laughs> we're applauding, yelling, and uh, so that was that was my Fred voice story. But we, when I gave him that tape, he said, "Do you do this kind of thing with uh, digital tape and all this stuff that's coming out?" I said, "Yeah, it's just kind of a hobby of mine." But he said, "I've got recordings of stuff I've done over the years, and they're on open reel, and some of them on disc, and some of them on this." Is there any way I could get that down on a DVD disc or to have the picture to go with it? I said, I'd be glad to do that for you. And before I left town, we, yeah, yeah, one way or another, he got this. Oh, he just sent it through the mail. He, they, everybody has a size of a large, large shoebox. And I'm holding in my hand the career of one of the finest announcers that ever walked the planet. And uh, so I, I did spent several hours making this thing special for him. Uh-huh. And uh, he uh, left his most gracious thank yous on my answering machine, which I quickly dubbed to uh, 
whatever medium, uh, medium we were using at the time to keep it. He had given me permission. He said, you keep anything you want. And, uh, and uh, he also did some station promos for me. And uh, that was uh, quite a thrill, really, because he, he went back to our childhood. And he only did, and he played the Lone Ranger one time. Brace Beamer came in with a, a laryngitis and Fred uh, played the part of the Ranger. And I have that somewhere, and it's, it's very good. He, he did a good job. You do? You, you do have that recording. You know we're going to ask, could we have some? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just Fred Floyd Night or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and that would be good. Uh, well, sure. Fred Floyd Night? Yeah. Absolutely. Let's do it. You know, we've been talking about it for a couple couple years, so let's do it. Let's do a Fred Floyd Night. Let's do okay. a Fred Foy Night. And, Nolan, you can come back with us when we do Fred, Fred Foy Night? There's, there's now a Fred Foy website. The family have put up a fredfoy.com website. So, uh, you know, when we have Nolan back on, we'll do a whole Fred Foy and, and walk through his career. It'd be fun. Cool. That would be cool. Well, Nolan, we have overstayed our welcome. You know you've been here for an hour and 15 minutes. Oh, is that right? I'd like to, <laughs> well, I'd like to tell one well, more story if you like. Oh, yeah. Okay, if you can do that. I'm just so afraid that we're overstaying here. No, I'm fine. I, I, uh, let me, I mean, this is the Tyson Frank Bazillion, how he didn't know this happened, and I just put it together recently. But I was listening to Fred Foy, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Frank Brzee emceeing the Miss America pageant <gasps> for 1963, I think. And so, I know it had been played in that 68, so, and uh, he's going through repeating, uh, you don't hear the other announcer who might be, unless it's a personality, and he introduced um, Bob Hope. Well, that's enough of a coincidence in itself that I'm hearing Frank Brzee talking uh, about the Miss America pageant, and he, uh, Bob Hope comes on and says, well, have you heard National Airlines says a one-way trip to Cuba? You might <laughs> want to get... And uh, so this, and this is funny how, how things work out, but you see the... the, uh, the uh, what? How odd that is that that should happen, the, the, the coincidence. Fred... Uh, Frank would become a friend, and he's on Armed Forces Radio, which I was on. Yeah. And uh, just one of my favorite happenstance stories. That's great. And you have several. You, you've got happenstance stories that we're going to have to talk about one night. Well, good, yeah. Uh, you, you've got a bunch of them. It's, it's not quantity, but it's quality, most of it. It's, it's, it's the quality. Like, who are you, yeah. Ringo? <laughs> I yeah. love that story. I really love that story. I'm so glad that you were able to tell us about it tonight. That is that is really a cool story, climbing up the side I, of a plane. <laughs> I didn't uh, think it was so cool when it happened. It was, and later on, it took its own life. <laughs> it did. Uh, and it's up on YouTube. Did you know it's on YouTube? Oh, uh, yeah, I did for a while. Somebody told me that. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I did. But well, I I looked up there and dug around, and by golly, there it is. <laughs> there it is. I'll have to find it again. 
and send it out to anyone who emails me for it. I, I won't I do that. Paid, I should be it, paid more because I'm... You'll have to be paid more? Yeah, remember well, that... never mind. I tell the German lady that <laughs> the record show that I should be paid more because I'm so famous. Yeah. I firmly pointed in my cheek and she caught on. <laughs> she did, I'm like, okay. You know, you are so you're you're a great straight man, and I am so gullible that you could get away with telling me you were once president of the United States for a day. Well, I, I was married to the most gullible. You, you're number two. We oh, had, really? <laughs> we were in Las I Vegas, had... and uh, a buddy of mine and I. In fact, it was Walter May, the mayor. Uh-huh. We went over. You're familiar with the casino they have change machines you can put a dollar in there and get your quarters well and we we were playing the change machine and she was watching and we'd yell and you know not yell but hey we won the jackpot over here yeah. get this. and it was the quarters coming back from the dollar we'd put in the thing and she thought yeah. it was a slot <laughs> and we let her believe that for a while she got ready she didn't trust me too much no that's funny that's funny. Well, Norman, you have some great stories, and I hope that it will not be this long, because it's been a couple of years since you spent time with us. One time it was Christmas a few years ago, and huh? it, that it's much too long. It's much too long. Oh, you're, you're very kind to remember me, and I'm, I've enjoyed this a lot. Brings back oh, a lot of boy. We, we enjoy you, and Walton and I talk about you periodically. I wonder how Nolan's doing. I know how Nolan's doing. We talk once in a while. So I, I can fill him in and say you are great, and you really are my hero. Well, thank you so much. And, Walton, you hang in there, too. And I will. Look forward to you. That will be, I'll talk to you soon. That will be fine, Nolan. I'll, Take care. Great. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'll talk to you soon, Nolan. Bye-bye. All right. There's Nolan Kenner. Oh, gosh. I had such a good time on the phone with him. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Nolan, for spending so much time with us. My gosh, we're almost up to an hour and a half here. He's been um, on the contact with us. Okay. So now, my dear. He has some great stories. Now, my dear, do you want to take a five or ten minute break before we open up a call for a little while? How, how, how would you like to do would, How would you? Ooh, could we do that? Yeah, I'll, I'll play some. Sh- a couple, just a, a couple of things to mention, yep. and then we we'll take some calls for a little while. Okay. Okay. So I'll play a little mm-hmm. music. I'll play a little music, and then I'll call you. Back. What do you want? Ten minutes? Five minutes? What would you like? Yeah. No, five minutes would be great. Okay. Go hang up, and I'll and, call you and back. Really, five minutes. Okay. All right. Alright everybody, <laughs> okay, stand by. A bit. Okay, here we're going to let Patricia take a little break while we play a little Perry Como here on Yesterday USA. I'm going to hang up. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket, never let it fade away. Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket Save it for a rainy day For love may come and tap you on the shoulder Some starless night Just in case you feel you want to hold her 
You'll have a pocket full of starlight Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket Never let it fade away Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket Save it for a rainy day For love may come and tap you on the shoulder Some starless night And just in case you feel you wanna hold her You'll have a pocket full of starlight Pocket full of starlight Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket Never let it fade away Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket Save it for a rainy day For when your troubles start multiplying And they just might It's easy to forget them without trying With just a pocket full of starlight Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket Never let it fade away Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket Save it for a rainy day Save it for a rainy day Save it for a rainy Find a wheel and it goes round, round, round As it skims along with the happy sound As it goes along the ground, ground, ground Till it leads you to the one you love Then your love will hold you round, round, round In your heart's a song with a brand new sound And your head Go spinning round, round, round Cause you found what you've been dreaming of In the night you see the oval moon Going round and round in tune And the ball of sun in the day Makes a girl and boy wanna say Find the ring And put it round, round, round And with ties so strong The two hearts are bound Put it on The one you found, found, found For you know that this is really love Find a weed And it goes round, round, round As it skims along With a happy sound as it goes Along the ground, ground, ground Till it leads you to the one you love Then your love You hold around, round, round In your heart's a song With a brand new sound And your head Go spinning round, round, round Cause you found what you've been dreaming of In the night you see the oval moon Going round and round in The ball of sun in the day Makes a girl and boy wanna say Find the ring and put it round, round, round And with ties so strong your two hearts are bound Put it on 
one you found, found, found For you know that this is really love Find the ring, put it on For you know that this is really love Really love, really love Try to keep warm while taking a sleigh ride back. Memories we've been sharing. When two hearts are cared, time can't erase the telephone call that tied up the line for hours and hours the Saturday dance I got up the nerve to send you some flowers magic moments memories we've been sharing magic moments when two hearts are caring time can't Time that the floor fell out of my car when I put the clutch down. The penny arcade, the games that we played, the fun and the prizes. The Halloween hop when everyone came in funny disguises. Magic moments filled with love. And there's Perry Como. Happy Saturday night and hello, adorable. Now, do you remember, <clears throat> excuse me, what Ralph in California called himself? Let me think. He is huggable, right? No. Somebody oh. irresistible. One is irresistible. Yeah. Who's that one? That's Ron from Hawaii, I think. Right. Hmm. Now, well, I think I need to, while you're thinking, I'll do a fill-in-the-blank here. Yeah. One night or a couple of times, <laughs> excuse me, Walden and I had said, oh, you're so lovable. And yeah. he would say, oh, you're right. adorable. 
and that's where the lovable and adorable came and, from. And, and it's I, really spontaneous. And it, and it comes from the Perry Como song when he gives the alphabet. A for adorable. He liked the whole song. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And that's, that's where right. we steal it from. Yeah. That's right. And then we had a caller, Ralph from California, mm-hmm. call in and said, This is. Who? It was it? No, no. Yeah, no. Boy. That was Ron in Hawaii. Wow. Well, yeah. He called later and said, This is irresistible. Cuddles. It cuddles. He eat cuddles. cuddles. Yeah. <laughs> Ralph called in. <laughs> said, this is Cuddles calling. <laughs> so we have a whole family. We've got lovable, adorable, irresistible, and Cuddles. Yeah. So if anyone out there would like to call in with a self-identification, Nickname. please let us know and yes. we'll keep track oh, yeah. of who is wonderful and who is incredible and who is... And we've got all of these lovely stuff. We have to do it. Hey, now, I got, I got a fun family fact for the family to, to write this on YouTube. A, fr- a, friend, a friend of ours at this station is responsible for the current viral craze on YouTube. Really? Yes. Uh, who done it? Okay. It's our friend Stuart Shokas. He's been a guest okay. on the station. He's the one that runs the, uh, the, we- the website that interviews TV people like Tony Dow and all the fr- mm-hmm. all our friends, and he he transferred tapes for us. He did the whole convention a couple wow. weeks a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. He's friends with Dick Van Dyke, and a couple weeks ago he was at the restaurant, Diddy's restaurant, with Dick. And Dick, is for people who don't may or may not know, is now ninety years old, and he still loves and he still loves to perform. Dancing. He dances regularly every week. And and what and what he does, he loves to volunteer. He loves to go to hi, call up and hi, help out high school drama plays. Wow. Can you imagine around town or whatever? Hey, you need me? I'll be happy to come down and help out. So he and his two buddies got up at Denny's went around and started serenading the, the, the restaurant eaters at Denny's restaurant. <laughs> And so Stuart, Stuart took a high phone and videotaped it, and it's been up on YouTube, and it's gotten over 10 million looks. Wow. Yeah. So, anybody... Well, that, is, that is pretty cool. Yeah, so if you want to see what Dick Van Dyke is doing at Denny's Restaurant, go to YouTube and type in Dick Van Dyke Denny's, and you can see Dick running around serenading people in the restaurant. That is so cool. <laughs> Somebody, and by the way, I've been without a television for a week. You I don't miss it at all. Did it go? Did it go? Did it go south again? No. Well, yeah, it did. But I recognized after it went south, it is not the television; it's the set top that ah, you know, yeah, control thing that you get from the router. Yep. It's a CenturyLink boo-boo. My television is fine. It's their equipment that went out. And so I will just bring it back next week and get credit for, a refund. <laughs> for what I haven't been able to use. Ah. And um, now I'm deciding whether or not I really want the television back. What do you think? Well, you can try without it for a month. Yeah. 
I don't know. I have no idea. Me, I promise. Let me just hang up the phone. And see, that might fix our problem. What? I don't... Huh, that was weird, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was like somebody <laughs> from Russia is <laughs> eavesdropping on us. Well, we know the CIA does have our number. 714-545-2071. You can call. I'll put you on hold. Okay, Patricia does have a few statement, statements announcements to make. We have a, yeah, just a couple. We have a special guest. Hey, in, hello there. Hey, that you, know one? Hello. I, I was out here I was catching a cab. Oh. <laughs> You bet. <laughs> oh, Have we. To go to bed. But that's okay. <laughs> you are so funny, Nolan. I didn't read that. That's probably where the, the odd noise was coming from. Nolan is still with us. Are you leaving or staying? Uh, I have to stay. Okay, staying. Yes. Staying. Yeah. Good. 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 Are you going to your home? No, I'm going to stay here at the camp stand. There you go. <laughs> on the air and we're going to be here for a while so if you can stay with us that would be great if you want to go to bed that's fine hold on Carl we we got a comedy routine going on we're going to stay in there Carl don't worry are you coming or going <laughs> uh, anyway Patricia you have a couple of statements uh, Patricia we have another guest in two weeks uh, Elva Green, the daughter of Eddie Green, who remember Eddie the waiter of Duffy's Tavern. She'll be our special guest in two weeks. So that's another book for Patricia to read. She loves her books. That'll be fun. Yeah. Well, my my only announcement <laughs> is somewhere on my other computer, and I'll have it for next week. Okay. But I am one of the people in the world who actually reads terms of service and security information before... I sign on to something. Well, I found something from Microsoft, and I want to read every single item that they store and can access. This is Microsoft Corporation, the absolute in-the-headquarters type thing. They keep your bank numbers, mm -hmm. your credit card numbers, all of your emails, and everything that you – and the list just keeps going on and on and on. And when you ask – Please don't do this anymore. I want to opt out. Somewhere buried in this is an opt out. It takes 13 months for them to opt you out. So I will go through the list next week. It's on the other computer, and I, I didn't grab it and send it over here. Shame on me. So anyway, that's my big thing. Amen. Hello, hello Carl. You're on with Patricia. Hello, you guys. Hi, I finally got I finally got through. I was trying to get through last week, and uh, it's... Um, well, you know, I'm going to make a su suggestion. Okay. Could we keep the calls a little bit shorter? Because I want to hear, I, not for me, but I want to hear for lo from lots of people. We've always, that's always we, been a big. We can do that. We, that's always been a big struggle and debate on Saturday night. We tried, we've done a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So, yes, we we definitely, considering Patricia is, is it's doing till, uh, you know, three hours or so. We'll, we'll try to keep them shorter. You bet. Well, good. Because we'll try. You have so many interesting people that 
or friends that call in, and I just love to hear what they say. But anyway. That is good. No, that's a great suggestion, and and thank you for reminding us, Celeste. Well, that's okay. I have... Sometimes when we talk on the phone, it's like a conversation with a family member (laughs) just on the other side. Right, I know, I know. Yeah, and, and sometimes it can be, you know, hard. Really hard. Now, last week, last week I had a word for you. Did you hear my word? No, I did not. Well, that's good because I don't have a new one for this week. So I'll use last week. Give, give me the old one. And that's the only one I have. It was a car crash, and as always, somebody is a witness, and the news people want an interview, and they stick the microphone under somebody's nose. Right. And the woman said, and and these cars were coming so fastly. <laughs> I, I, fastly. Now, Patricia, I thought I'd heard it all, but I, I give you credit. That is a new, that is a new yeah. one for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm doing a really good job here for you, Celeste. <laughs> you are fastly. I like it. Very fastly. They were coming very fastly, and then they crashed. Oh, my goodness sake. That's good. Oh, that's terrible. Well, I want to tell you about something I'm excited about doing because it has something to do with something you talk about all the time. Next week, there is a woman CEO coming to Dallas to speak to women entrepreneurs and women who own their own businesses. It's just all women. And I'm going to get, I, they invited me to go there and speak on behalf of somebody famous. And so I'm going to do that because I certainly don't uh, have a business or anything like that. But this woman is the CEO. Now, I'll give you a little uh, hint here. She's the CEO of a, of a um, food corporation. Who do you think she would be? Wow, so many to choose from. I know, but this one was just so funny to me. That's why I look forward to going. <laughs> she is, her name is, um, let's see, what is her name here? <laughs> Ellen, uh, Ellen R. Gordon. Yeah, I think I've already told you that, yeah. But she know. represents a food company that puts out something that we all like, and we like it a lot. I'm going to say McDonald's, but that's not under. No, no, no. This is this is a corp- well, they they're a corporation too, but this is a corporation that makes makes a special food. Oh. Well, the cows make milk, so <laughs> that's a special food. I love it because I'm looking at the head headline right now. I don't know if you'll ever guess it, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Two-year-old uh-huh. CEO. Two-year-old. Of course, and I have her name on the other computer. I do have Tootsie <laughs> and she, I, I have to tell you, I went to the Tootsie Roll site, and there is an interview with her up there, and I guess it was her father who started the company. She right. So uh-huh. Cool. Uh-huh. She is so cool to listen to. She's going to be a great person. 
Oh, good. Well, I'm so glad that I had this golden opportunity to go hear her because, as you know, I'm not in business or anything. But anyway, yeah, I'm thrilled. Uh, I think it'll be very interesting. And people are coming in from all around, you know, to uh-huh. all around the, the DFW area. And it'll be interesting to me since I'm more into education and music and things like that. It'll be interesting to me to see who all these women are and what's, what CEOs they are from my area because I don't even know a lot of women CEOs. Yeah. So that's going to be real interesting to me. But she is the CEO of Tootsie Roll. <laughs> Tootsie Roll. And I think you're going to have a fabulous time with her. Well, good. Listen, I was trying to get into you a good while ago when you were talking about Stonewall Jackson's horse, Little Sorrel. Yes, yes. Do you know what a sorrel is? It's a horse. But it's a special breed of horse. Oh, well. You have Palominos and you have pain and you have sorrels. And sorrels are this beautiful reddish-brown color and usually have a white streak down their face. Can you visualize uh, that? Yes. That's what they are. And I, I'm pretty sure Secretariat was a sorrel. I'm, I think that's right. But anyway, when we were talking about that, yeah, and I thought it was so interesting. Yeah, he must have had a lot of love for that sorrel horse, and then to be shot and killed by his own side, you know. I know. That. I know. Not, not, that I, not that I wanted his side to win, you know, but, I mean, it is, it, it, it was sad, you know. Yeah. yeah. No, it really was. It was a tragedy, and it was an infection that killed him. It wasn't the bullet wound. Uh, yeah, 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 I know. What a terrible well, thing. Now the other thing is, are you you're on the Gulf side now? You haven't heard of any Zika in your neighborhood, have you? Had, are you talking about the storm? Uh, the Zika, the Zika virus. Oh, the Zika. Oh, I'm I'm concentrating on the storm that's coming. Uh, um, yes, we you have, have one. That. You have one coming. A storm. Yeah, we do. Um, oh, and it's, a, it's not a named storm. It's not even a tropical depression. It's just there and it's enormous and it's got a center and they keep waiting for it to develop into an eye and so far you know they've got paths laid out and possibilities where this thing is going and one of the biggest ones is louisiana oh again my heart my heart oh my goodness goodness i know i know It it is just broken i saw that so anyway, if and, and honest to goodness, I have no objection to having this thing take a Florida coastline and just keep it out of Louisiana. The most that's going to happen is a lot, a lot, a lot of rain out of this thing so far. Oh. And they're still looking at it. Um, as I say, it doesn't even have a name yet, but... Um, yeah. So anyway, Zika. Yes, we've had some cases of Zika here. The concentration is on the East Coast in the Miami area. They've um, got a whole right. section. Now, I see, them, I see them on television spraying those areas all the time. Yes. But I thought yes. today to ask you again because they said it's moving around the Gulf. 
So those yeah. people in, the, and we have some cases here in Texas on the Texas Gulf. Yeah. So, but it's it's I, not the way it is in Florida, you know. Yeah, it is, and we've had a couple of cases here. Walden gave me and us a heads up two weeks ago that research is now showing that where adults were originally considered safe, that it would be just like a regular virus, that there is great evidence that it is affecting adult brains as well. Oh, which is I had that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and Walden was the one who found it. I mean, it wasn't anywhere, and I went digging around and found some information, and you shouldn't have to dig for something like that. Walden was the cookie who, who said, by the way, there's a new chunk of information about it. So, yeah, it is scary. It is very scary. Well, I'll tell you one thing I'm really angry about. This Congress won't come in to just spend a day to vote for the Zika virus and for all this mudding we need for flooding in, in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. that, just, that just makes me furious. Go into Washington and do your job and vote for these people to get help. Yeah. Uh, it's unbelievable to me. Just unbelievable. Well, anyway... I'm going to go by my own rule, and I'm going to meet the 60-year-old CEO. <laughs> and we, really don't want to, we really don't want to go fastly, but... No, no fastly. I won't shake no, hand fastly. <laughs> no, not fastly, but... Um, not fast. And you're right. You're right. We really need to... You know, we get hung up in conversations, and... Yeah, right, I know, sweetheart. And your conversations are interesting, but I, I I know there are a lot of people like I am that are trying to get through, you know. So. Yes, yes. And we all love you and like right. to hear what you have to say, you and Walden. <laughs> okay, okay. Sir, I'm going to hang up so somebody else can jump in. All right, Joy. Thanks so all much. All right. Bye-bye, you bye -bye. too. Bye-bye. I want to give a heads up tomorrow. Uh, Larry and I had a chance to interview Lucy Arnaz. Thursday, and we'll run it tomorrow, and she was a lot of fun, so if you like to hear what Lucy Arnaz is doing, you can listen to it tomorrow night. She That's going to be great fun. She likes to talk to Patricia. She's here until 1 o'clock Eastern Time. That's right. I'm allowed to stay up late tonight. Now, now, and while we're waiting for a phone call, I have one thing to say that I should have said before. Uh-huh. We we consistently look for nominations of really awful shows yes. for me to listen to and pick through. Mm -hmm. well, Walden, bless his heart, went through a list, and I just kept writing and writing, and I turned the page, and I kept writing and writing, and he, and he finishes with Bob and Ray. I said, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you, have, you have just set yourself up for the firing squad. <laughs> he said, I don't get them. <laughs> Get it. So my question for our listeners now, I took a, well, I'll say a lot of heat for running Richard Diamond as an awful show. And until the day I die, I think the one I picked was an awful show. <laughs> it wasn't Richard Diamond. I wasn't picking on Richard Diamond. It was this particular show that I thought was terrible. It was the one in which they tried, the writers tried, I'll say tried, to do... It was a guy named Blake Edwards who wrote the script. Yeah, well, you know, and he was so good, and he did the Pink Panther. That's right. 
<laughs> you know, everybody's got to have a flop, and this is one of them. And they tried to do a satirical show that included people like Joe Friday on Dragnet and gave him a crazy name. And it just, you know, it just wasn't a Richard Diamond. And um, Larry said it was his favorite show. <laughs> Ron in Illinois wasn't too pleased with the choice. And I mean, he's always so gracious, but you could tell this was not his, <laughs> his sterling moment when I picked this one. So what I would like people to do is tell me, I picked Richard Diamond. <laughs> Walden picked Bob and Ray. Which one is going in front of the firing squad, Walden or me? Uh. Oh, Bob and Ray. What? Are you kidding me? Oh, no, I'm not kidding. I, I really thought you were kidding. No. I don't get it. I don't get I don't get Bob and Ray all the time. I get down. all the time. No, they, they went off script a little bit. I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. They really did play off each other, and I think they probably did have some private jokes in there that we weren't privy to, which made it a little bit difficult to unravel what they were talking about. But, you know, Wally Ballou uh, on the news end, and oh, my gosh, they really did some great stuff. So I, I want people to tell me, does Walden <laughs> get shot for Bob and Ray, or do I still hold... Well, see the see I the last several last com, last several convention I've been really considering having Patricia type up that awful show script. Yeah, I think it is a good one from November fifth, nineteen forty nine. Now, the, you're talking about the Richard Diamond. Uh huh. And and you think it, why am I going to get dragged into? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting a little nervous here. Hello there, Carl. You're on with Patricia. I think she'd be safer going outside doing a rain dance saying, Hey, Hurricane, come here. <laughs> other than, and what, what is my other choice? I think you'd be safer, you know, shouting for the hurricane to land in your backyard than, than to try to put more Richard Diamond as awful shows. That's right. That's yeah. what I was asking about my other choice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yes. Now Patricia's trying. Patricia trying. Patricia trying to throw me underneath the bus. You know, we we I gave her a list of stuff and I add Bob and Ray and she just doesn't want to do Bob and Ray and as an awful show. Daniel. Daniel, what do you think? Well, all right. Now, I I have to back up and then Dan, I want you to jump in with this, Walden. I am positive there is something in Bob and Ray that is so off the wall and so terrible that it probably would qualify. Not the program itself, but one of the shows. So I'm going to start listening to some of them, and I'll bet you've got a winner in there. Now we'll switch to Richard Diamond because <laughs> I am going to get thrown on the, under the bus. It's one of my favorite series. Well, you can have it. It's just these two shows that I thought were really bad. And we haven't played the second one. <laughs> <laughs> just saving that one and for a later have, date. Yeah. We we do have one selected for a later date. D- Dan, what's your, what is your favorite worst show of all time? Your favorite awful show of all time? My favorite awful, awful show. show. You know, you know there, are, there are some My Friend Irma shows that just, are to me unbearable, <laughs> and I think it's the later shows. I think they 
ran out of the dumb blind, you know, jokes. Well, I also think once Kathy Lewis got sick, and they uh-huh. had, and they started to substitute for Kathy Lewis, uh, they, the chemistry wasn't there either. Yes, uh-huh. and they didn't have a substitute actress. They had substitutes each week. I think there was one, Fran Allison, who did two. You know, Joan Banks did one, Mary Shipp mm-hmm. did, you know, they just... But, uh... And it was hey, did you so know that... I have to tell you, Dan, I was working on a special project. I listened to every single one of those shows. By the mm-hmm. time I got finished, I was ready to be put to bed. <laughs> Really, but but don't you know there was a, there was a uh, there was a special giveaway on my friend Irma. They did they, they give away Irma. Yes, they did. You, you <laughs> the, the deal was if you if you had an office, you could write about a, a contest like you know fifty words or words or one hundred, and when yeah, and when and when and when Irma for the day. Wow. I remember that. <laughs> Did they ever announce a winner? I bet. I, call it they did. I bet if we Google it up in, in uh, Variety or something, I bet we could find out. Well, they should have announced it on the following, on a following show. We, we probably don't have and it. I don't recall that they did. No. Yeah. They, they may have done over a summer break because, I mean, you know, they may have, you know, done that during the summer where, you know, um, she... Wouldn't have to travel back to so my, New York, I my, guess, and my do the program question, the next week. Yeah, my question to both of you, if you want Marie Wilson for the day, you really think she did any work in the office or just signed autographs? I'd give her back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cruel. Josh, I hate you. That's cruel. I yeah. would, well, it's, it's the truth. It's the truth. Well, kudos on the Nolan Kinner interview. That was very nice. Yes, it was. Does he live up here in my neighborhood? He lives. He 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 doesn't live in Indiana. He lives in he lives in Florida now. In Florida, he lives in. Yeah, I heard him mention Kentucky. Yeah. Yes. He's yeah. Northeast of me. Yeah, he's a he's a Georgia boy who who grew up in Kentucky. I think that was it, right? Or uh, no. He was a Georgia boy who grew up in Florida, who worked in Florida, and who owned a radio station in Kentucky. Really? Okay. Well, I, I knew there was a Kentucky connection. Then, uh, all heavens, um, Dr. Dale lives up here, I believe, right? Dr. Dale was in West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah, okay. then, uh, Michael, Michael Beale in Kentucky, Dr. Michael That's- Beale. Okay. Okay. Uh, There's a few people up here. You, you're the one holding down Indiana for us, Dan. Exactly. Yeah, you, you exactly. are. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You're going. To, you're going to see Corden in uh, the news. Uh, we're having a um, bicentennial torch relay starting on on um, September 9th. They're we're doing a torch relay through all the counties in Indiana, starting from. The old state capital, the first state capital there in Corden, and um, we're having. The, I, I'm one of the people greeting the VIPs coming in. Ah. So and what I, are you doing I, this? Probably, for? Uh, what now? 
And what what are you doing this for? Is this for the state constitution coming now? Uh-huh, the bicentennial. Uh, it, it's, it's the bicentennial. Oh, Indiana, okay. Indiana turned who, 200 years old this year. And then uh, they're doing a torch relay like the Olympic torch relay, only this is for the bicentennial. They're having runners run a torch through all 92 counties in Indiana. And, and, who, and who are the VIPs that you're taking care of, Dan? Well, Governor Pence will be one. Okay. And his replacement, Eric Holcomb, he's the acting governor who is up for elect up for uh he's running for the governorship now he is the current lieutenant governor okay and uh and there'll be others here i'm sure uh, I, I don't have the the guest list but we we we're, we're being scrutinized by the um, secret service and all that good so what's proper uh, etiquette i mean you're supposed to say welcome to Corden. i mean is there, a, is there a protocol yet to fall well, we're 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 discussing all that at okay. this point here. You know, we're probably can get some tips from Patricia there. I I'm 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 assuming I'm just wondering when we when I we when we bring Patricia to Indiana, will she get the same treatment? <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, yes. We'll, we'll your royal highness will work just fine. That's right. Yes. We'll, we'll do a run through. Yeah, we'll do a run through. What we need to do is find a, a breakfast place in Corden. You have a good re- breakfast recommendation. That way we can, you know, because the Royal Highness, the Royal Princess needs a good breakfast place. So that's what Yeah, and I'll practice the proper hand wave. <laughs> that is never more than chin high, and it's just kind of like a tick-tock. <laughs> put, your, put your hand up straight and tick-tock side to side. I can do that. I can practice that. I'm sure you can. Now, would you rather be at the Cracker Barrel for breakfast, or do you want to go to big, to uh, Frisius? I don't know the second one. You don't know? Bob, it would be Bob's Big Boy in some areas. No, don't know it. Oh, okay, well, they have a nice breakfast buffet. I'll take it. I love yep. buffets. You love buffets, yes. We'll, we'll, I love buffets. We'll put you in right there. At, okay, I have a yeah. I have a a question on buffets. Yes. And this is for both of you. Yes. And the family who want to participate afterward. Uh huh. Is it proper etiquette after you've gone to a buffet and you're ready to leave to take food with you? Never. Mm. Oh, okay, the, Patricia says never. Okay. Daniel? I'm serious. It is never. You never take food home from a buffet. Okay. Dan? Well, uh, sometimes you can go in and purchase a carryout. I I don't think that's what Walden's talking about. (laughs) I think he's talking about stuffing stuff in your purse. That's right. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Yeah. After you've gone through the line a couple times, Mm -hmm. is it it okay to take a couple bran muffins home? And the answer is no. I, I I would agree with Patricia. Okay. Unless you go in and purchase a no, I mean, this, carry this out meal. This, this is official. You can look this one up. It is it is on the big no no list. Uh, is this under Miss Etiquette 101, or where can we find this it's, one? It's under You Flunk Etiquette 101. <laughs> <laughs> you have to look, oh. look at the list of people who failed. 
I'm, I'm guessing you had a special reason for asking that. But well, I remember, no, well, I, yeah, I, I, no, I remember Dennis Prager, it was a big topic on his radio show a couple oh, years really? ago. Yes, because he said he took his wife and daughter to the to a buffet, and they were all upset at him because he was walking out the window, he was walking out the, with a with a brand muffin in his hand. And they no. said, no, 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 Dennis, you can't do that. So that was a topic of his show, radio show. He, he threw etiquette on the floor and walked on it. No, he he did a bad thing. So, okay, Dan, we're, we're down to weather, and the, unless there's something extra special you need to talk about. No, no, I was, uh, I, I emailed you to alert you to the fact that you could have a, a, a storm coming through. Yes, and and you are my source of information because you may have heard I do not have a television and I don't even miss it. Yes, yes, that's right. Well, you're my you source know, of information. I didn't know if you needed to evacuate down there yet or not. Oh, They're no. calling that what? What was that name? NC. It's they don't have a name that. for it, but they have a. No, no. When when they get a tropical disturbance. They give it, I don't even know what invest means, but it's invest with a number after it, and this one is invest 99. I see, sure. And it's not even strong enough to be called a tropical depression. It's just strong mm -hmm. enough to dump a lot of rain. So we're going to probably know, get some rain out of it, and that's all. There was an upper-level um, low-pressure system that moved through central Indiana and created eight tornadoes, I believe, on Wednesday. There were, Okemo was devastated by, I think, one or two tornadoes. There was a tornado that went through Indianapolis and one through Bloomington, a couple up around Fort Wayne. Oh, my word. So. Oh, my word. This one question for Dan. Yes. Did you see at the library over the last few months this Pokemon craze? Were there, were there students looking for Pokemon at the library? Not so much in the library, but I've seen them walking throughout uh, Corden and Louisville, you know, just walking up and down the street looking for these creatures. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I don't know much more than that. Mm -hmm. But uh, Some yeah. people have gotten hit by cars because they're concentrating. Seriously, they're concentrating on the handheld device looking mm -hmm. for the right directions to the Pokemon, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> and they got creamed by cars because they just walked out into the street. And I've heard if you go faster than 20 miles an hour, you cannot see the the uh, the creatures on your phone, on your app. So you can't be driving and really playing that game. No. I mean, you have you can, to be you can just walking. Be walking. Or... And, that, and these are the people who, pedestrians, who were walking out into traffic. Because they know something's on the other side of the street, and they want to get there first. I think it's amazing. I heard a couple of weeks ago some some young person traveled around different parts of the world, and he captured all 145 Pokemon. So there's still people that don't believe it yet. Hmm. Well, we don't believe it. <laughs> we don't believe it. Okay, Dan, well, you keep practicing on how you might give me a greeting and... I would like to attend anything that has a buffet for me to choose from, and I yeah. promise not to embarrass anyone by walking out with, with a brand muffin. <laughs> my heart. Wasn't, wasn't Carol Channing the one who wanted a steak to go or something like that one time at a buffet? 
No, I don't remember. I never oh, okay. I have not heard that. Yeah. The state to go. That, that... They refused her, too. <laughs> That's good. That's... There was a special on CBS Sunday morning uh, last week. I believe it was Leslie Caron who was in, what was that famous movie that she was in back in the Oh, 60s, yeah, 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 50s. yeah. Yeah, I um I know what you mean, but I can't think of it at the moment. Yeah. 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 She she uh they they had a meal for her and they said, "Well, what do you want for ste- for um dessert?" And she said, "I want another steak." So she she freely admitted that last week on I the see. CBS Sunday morning show. I, I that see. was hilarious. You can probably pull that up on the podcast. There you go. Yes, that's right. Well, I'm going to get off here and right, good, and hope everybody stays safe this next week. Amen. Thank you, Dan. And we've got a lot of people who are pulling for the ones who are going to wind up with a storm. Wow. Absolutely. Yes, Louisiana needs no more rain at this point. They need Amen. nothing. And there is an arrow from one of these computer models is shooting right at New Orleans. That's right. So, All right. Okay. You all take you care. Take Talk to you later. And have, you have a decent week. Okay. Thanks much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Anyway, Patricia will be here for another 25 minutes. You'd like to give her a call at 714-545-2071. Then she has to do A, go to bed right away, or B, do her force exercises. So we'll find out what she's going to do in 25 minutes. Or C. C? Yeah. Uh, run up and down the, the stairwell. Oh, get real. <laughs> Okay. Yes. Well, you uh, can be reading. well, uh, uh, if we if you do B, I'll let you have C. Is this a negotiation? Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Do you like to talk to Patricia about her four exercises? You're very well. You're very well welcome to call seven one four five four five two zero seven one. And I'll be here. And if you don't call, I'm going to cry. So there. <laughs> I have a baseball question for you. Perfect. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Something in baseball. Well, I'll ask it the other way around. What year? I won't even ask you the date. Okay. What year? Huh? What? Oh, I'm ready. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> what year? I heard this noise. Yep. What what year was the first Major League Baseball television broadcast? Uh, I, I, I think if we go with the Spare Mill TV, how about 1939? It was 1939, and it was broadcast um, full. They only had two cameras mm-hmm. that they could set up, and Red Barber was the announcer. How about that? Do you remember? Do you remember who the teams were? And then I'll give you a little piece of information. Was it the Brooklyn Dodgers in Cincinnati? 
that is correct. You are so hot tonight. Oh, my goodness. There were exactly, well, about, not exactly. The, the count is approximate, but 400 television sets in the entire mm. New York area. Mm. Can you imagine? No. No. I mean, really? And that was, let's see, not until 1946 did it start coming in, but in 1939 there were only about 400 televisions in the entire New York area, and they broadcast a baseball game with Red Barber. If anybody needs to hear Red Barber's voice, please go to YouTube. It was so smooth, so smooth. Okay, I have a president question for you. Hold on, call Patricia Garris, Jeff. Go ahead. No, let's take the caller first, and then I'll give you your okay. question. Hello there, caller. You're on there? Hello. Hi, Fred. This is Fred. Okay, now we have had cuddles and lovable, irresistible, and adorable. Which are you? You can't have those four are taken. You can identify yourself by another name. By another name? Well, the good ones are taken. Those four are already taken, yes. What were the four again? I, I remember adorable. Yeah, adorable. Yeah, that's easy to remember. Irresistible, cuddles, adorable, and lovable. Uh, how about ancient? Ancient. <laughs> I think we need something a little more appealing. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, it's got to be positive. This is endearing. Okay. Uh, how about endearing? Yeah, I like that. You like endearing? We will keep it right off. Yes. Okay. Okay, everybody. This is, this is going to be the, the project of the week. If you have a nickname you like to call for yourself, email it to Patricia. She'll keep this a running list. So her, she's at floridawriter at hotmail.com. So you got to... And I... Yeah. I get, didn't ask Dan. And actually, actually, how about appealing? Appealing? Appealing. Appealing. Okay, okay. Appealing. appealing. You may have that one. Yeah, I'll use that. Appealing, appealing to whom? <laughs> oh, to anybody who wants to be appealed to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And you're the teacher. I love it. <laughs> uh, it's like, well, could you give me a definition of appealing? And you say, well, something that appeals to you. <laughs> I have yeah, you know, likable, appealing. Um, well, which would you like, appealing or likable or endearing? Actually, I think probably I'll go back to endearing. That's probably the stronger of the three. Okay. <laughs> it's a good thing I have delete on my computer. <laughs> All right. It is wonderful. Endearing. Endearing. I remember when I first started writing. You must have, you must, you're, you must know this. You're a writer. Back in the day when you were trying to write before computers and you made one mistake on a piece of paper, they had to yeah. reset the whole page? Well, no. Well, typing? No. I can remember doing that many times. <laughs> and we'll fight out and... Oh, I was never good with white out. And I could never get the stupid typewriter line back up right either. I always had to re retype. I did have... Uh, it didn't work very good, though. My, my, I had one of those typewriters that supposedly erased. Yes, you backed it up, and it would lift the film off. The, it, it was a film that had dropped on the paper when you typed, 
and if you did the erase backwards, it was supposed to lift the film off the paper. Right. And that did a pretty good job. You know... Of course, I had a cheap one. <laughs> I was just thinking, you remember... You remember... I, uh, no, it didn't work so good. <laughs> how sensitive the keys were on the electric typewriter. Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, you could grow up being training on a manual typewriter, and it had a certain feel about it. But mm -hmm. but every time you went to an electric one, I mean, it seemed like you always could easily add another letter. See, that's one thing I can't... I've never, ever used a manual in my life. I mean, not as far as... I mean, I played on one as a kid, but... Mm -hmm. I've never used one as far as, like, yeah. trying to do any work with, with anything. So I can't really make that comparison. I read one time that people going from a manual typewriter, and one of the big heavy ones with the keys that you had to press really hard, going from that to an electric typewriter, and I don't have the numbers that are correct. I think it said it was 10 calories. I think it said 10 calories a day difference. Now, it takes 3,500 calories to make a pound. So for 350 days, you would lose a pound. A pound. Yeah. I want to know who spent money to figure that out. The government. Yeah, I wonder how they figured the, it out. The government. <laughs> How did they know it was because of the typewriter? Well, that's what they measured. The only thing people were doing... You're right. I mean, well, you'd have to do everything else identically. You'd have to eat identically. Sure. You're right. Donuts. Well, they, had, they, they had to measure somehow the output, the energy output that it took, and it also didn't say anything about how many pages you typed. Right. One to the other. I guess they had to take an average. I don't know. It seemed like a stupid study, but you could gain weight by moving to. Hey, you know, it used to be every year Ray Bream would read off the stupid study reports, you know, and how much it cost each each one of us. Like, yes. like watching cattle graze underneath electric wires cost us $30,000. You know, different yeah. different yeah. projects. Well, it just me. Like, like, we've... Uh, and it's, it's typical government stuff, I guess, but we've been trying to get our, our town, our, 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 the road widened through this, our town here, because the road is unsafe, there's been all these fatalities on the road, and they have already spent more in studies than it's going to cost them to do the stupid road. So we've had like 10 studies in the last 15 years, and we still haven't got a new road. It's just, I don't know, it's just kind of crazy at times. I'm, I'm on your side. Who was the senator who used to give what he called the Golden Fleece Award? Was that William Proxmire? Uh, that might be, yeah. Does that sound right? And he gave what was called a Golden Fleece Award. Mm -hmm. I don't know how often he did it. I'll say monthly. And he would pick something ultra stupid that the government paid money for. And if he could find a person to put it on, he would. Yeah, I bet you have a hard time finding any winners. <laughs> again, please. I bet you didn't have a hard time finding winners, nominations, or whatever. <laughs> you know. Yes. It was a full-time job sorting out the candidates. I, I can remember, and I'll never forget this. And this years ago, and was it the two the two thousand census? I got a job because I was out of work at the time, so I got a job. Being a census taker, 
and there was two two phases to it, let's say. And the first phase, I went and I did a week-long training on how to do it. And you had, you know, you had to learn how to fill out all these forms and stuff. And that, there was nothing wrong with that training. I needed that training. That was totally legitimate. So I did it. Did a class with like 20 people. We got paid for it, and uh, we did this this initial training. And then we it's, that went like six weeks. And then they 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 were hiring people to do what they called follow up census, where the original census, for whatever reason, didn't get certain residences. People never answered them, called them back, they were never home. Whatever the reason was, these these residences never got done. So they had people mm-hmm. doing follow-up. And I said, well, I'd like to extend my work. You know, I'd, I'd like to do that. And I got hired for it. And they said, okay, you got to come in and you got to do training. I said, okay, no problem. So I went in, and in that class, there was probably 52 of us. And each class was like three hours long. It was five days a week. We had to do it for five nights. And I remember after about an hour and a half, realizing this is the exact same thing that I just did. There's nothing so far that's different. And so somebody raised their hand and said, you know, we've done this before, we've, we know all this stuff. And they said, oh, yeah, well, how many other people have, have already done this census? And out of the 52 people there, 40 had done the original training. Well, well there'll be different stuff. Okay, fine. So we, and we got paid for it anyway. We had to be there. Well, I went through the whole week. And I thought, you know, they were going to tell you how to, like, look people up or find out if anybody lived in a residence or something like that. Well, in that whole 15 hours or whatever we did, there was three little things on this chart that they could have showed us in five minutes that we had to do differently. Everything else was the exact same thing we just did. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and I'm getting paid $15 an hour uh-huh. for 15 hours, and there's 40 other people like that in just my little class. And these classes are going on all across the country. Wow. Yeah. So that, that right there struck me as what a, what a colossal waste of money. Let me ask you on the census. For, are you given so many names a day? How or you or so many names a week when you first did it? That first that first go around. You know, you're given a room. Okay. And you've got six weeks to complete that room. And you're basically supposed to hit every house. And what what I what you would do is like you would go you set your own hours. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It was a great job. I, I would I would love to do something like that full time. Met a lot of really neat people. Mm-hmm. But you would set your own hours and you would go whenever you wanted to go and you know, you'd log your time and stuff, but you would go to all these houses, you'd knock on the door, if nobody answered, you would leave they had a little form that you would leave and they could call you at home and you could do it on the phone. Okay. If they wanted to do it that way, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you basically, then you just filled in this thing you had. Now they all, this was the last, we were, when we were doing it, the last time I did it was in 2000 and they were just starting to switch over. We didn't get them, but they, now they all have handheld computers. Um, 
And the year I did it, I think a lot, like if you were in the big cities and stuff, they had these little handheld computers. But I still had everything with paper and pencil, and you just filled these forms out, and you had, to, it was like a, almost like an SAT test, you know, for each family. Yeah. It was a really thick book that you filled out, and you just, you, you just did it. Did you encounter you know, people it took about who an hour a household, an hour and a half, once you sat down, yeah. Fred, did you encounter people who refused to talk with you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did they did answer the door. What's that? Did they tell you why? I didn't get anybody that was, like, anti-government or anything. Most people that... I had a couple of people who wouldn't, just wouldn't answer the door. They wouldn't come to the door and they never called me back. Um, and they never did... You know, I never, they never told me why because they never talked to me. Uh, and I'm, I, I never, I've heard stories though, we, we, we were, that was in our training. Before was the first census done in 1790 that George Washington didn't believe because there should have been a lot more people on there. People were not answering questions because they were afraid that their answers would make their taxes go up. How they arrived at that, I have no idea. But that was the reason so many people in 1790 refused to participate. So I wondered if you had a routine or a, an excuse that came up more frequently than others, and you're telling me you didn't get any because nobody would talk to you. No, I mean, well, I would say nobody would talk to me. But there was a few I'm, people who... Forgive who, me, I meant the one well, who... Yeah, most people were really good yeah. about it because basically... Your participation in the census, um, and this is what we would use as an excuse, too. We would tell people this, and it wasn't an excuse, it was true. But your participation in the census directly relates to you getting dollars from the government to help your community. Mm -hmm. It's directly tied to it. So and people, you know, and, and most people were, were really, really cooperative. Uh, and I think that's why they try to get people to do their own areas. You know, they try to hire people mm -hmm. from from their own area kind of thing. Uh, I, I, like I said, I loved it, though. I met a lot of really, really nice people. Um, you know, some people to this day that I still haven't forgotten. There was you this, ask, this would little you old lady, she was... She was 88 years old, and she was absolutely fascinating. I felt, I mean, she wanted me to stay forever. I, think, I don't think anybody ever was in there. You know, is that all you need to know? I can tell you, oh, no, you don't want to know about my grandchildren? <laughs> uh, no, I really don't have time. Uh, <laughs> she was a great, I'll never forget her. She was, she was incredible. So nice. Um, living by herself at 88, completely healthy. It was, it was, I, she was, she was refreshing. Did she oh. ask you back for tea? What's that? Did she ask you back for tea or coffee? Oh, she asked me to come back, yes. <laughs> I don't know if it was for tea or not. And I, unfortunately, I don't think I ever know. did. I wish I had. I wish I had, too. Hmm. She, she was on the follow-up stage, but she yeah. explained that she had been in Florida visiting somebody and hadn't been around, so that's probably why she didn't get the initial people. So when you, when you asked to check on 
those houses three different times, how many times were you supposed to be required to make an effort to, you know, you, uh, you said you got six weeks. Well, that's a good question. Uh-huh. Uh, during the initial phase, I did it many, many, many times. Okay. I only had three or four houses that did never, well, maybe half a dozen that I didn't get to. Okay. Um, and a lot of times, what, what you find out is, that, and you try to do this, when you do the follow-up phase, you try to find out from neighbors. That's when you would go ask neighbors and stuff. Um, because you would try to find out. Cause a lot of times there would be vacation homes or something like that. Oh, yes, of course. So it be like people are actually they're not even living there kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and you couldn't include them because they would be counted twice. Right. They'd, they'd be located in wherever they were. Right. And then, the exactly. Hmm. Um, so you had to classify the home. That was one thing we learned how to do. That was one of the things we did in, like, the five minutes was, you know, what do you do if nobody's ever home, okay, So and, and, and how do you log it? Like I said, they could have taught us that in five minutes and sent us on our way. Sure. Said so they trained us the exact same thing for, again, for a whole week. Um, but, that, you know, it's government. It's just inefficiency. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to train 12 new people, so they trained four other people right along with them. They already knew the stuff. But, but yeah, I, like I said, I, I loved it. I, I would be more fun today. Uh, matter of fact, I did it. I trained for it again in 2010 because I had been tutoring, but I hadn't gotten a job for that year. Mm-hmm. So I took the test um, in the summer. And then, which is a piece of cake to pass, and you really, really, really got to be um, pretty low, I don't want to be insulting, but you, you got to be pretty low functioning not to pass that test. You have to be dumb or dumber, yeah. Yeah, you really do. You have to be Forrest Gumpish, I guess. You have to be dumber, dumber, than, dumber than dirt, right? That used to be an expression. Yeah, dumber than dirt, exactly. Yeah. Well, as Donald Trump would say, he has to be one of the poorly educated that he loves so much. <laughs> um, but uh, I took the I basically was hired, and then I had to back out because I got a tutoring gig. Ah, uh, okay. Because the census is only like six weeks, and then you're out of work. Yeah. Uh, see, yeah, the census is short-term, and tutoring oh. is... A much right. more stable thing. So, yep. okay, Fred, we we have to ask you before you go. Okay. What's the most important? What's the most important thing you wanted to talk about tonight? Oh, your health. How you doing? There you go. Oh, I'm doing okay. Thank you for asking. That's good to hear. Well, I didn't realize last time I'd called that you had been in rehab all summer because I had been in rehab all summer and I hadn't been listening. <laughs> And how you doing, Fred? We might as well get an update on you. How how you doing? I'm doing good. I got, knock on wood, I've got, tomorrow, it will be 80 days down and 10 to go, and I lose the cast. Oh, right. Good. Hopefully, and I can start putting weight on my leg again. Wow. Oh, so it's just, well, I've just been bored. Well it's just like, I can't walk or anything on it, so. Can't play my drums. That's 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 a that's, that's poor, it's sort of a bad sort of a bad to be a member of the Saturday Night Family. We all have bits and pieces missing, you know. And that's sort of that's sort of what we had to. Have. <laughs> I never thought of I never thought about it in those terms. But 
you're right. <laughs> I have to ask people as they call, are you all there? Yeah, really. <laughs> my big fear is because I broke because my balls are so thin uh-huh. because of my arthritis. Yeah. And my big fear, and I, I know it's probably just a fear, but I'm going to go try to walk out of it again. It's just going to re-break. I'm just petrified. No, they'll make sure you're in better shape. Well, ha- have have you have you been taking calcium? I would think I would think calcium and things like that might help prevent something like that. But I don't know. I probably should be. Yeah. Um, I I think I'm gonna get it looked into after I get back on my feet too. Let me go get like a yeah. bone marrow scan and find out exactly where and where you know what I need to do. Yeah. Because. The same reason it operated on me. One, well, there was two reasons basically. Um, but if it had happened to most normal people, they would have had surgery. Mm. Then they would have, because of my arthritis, they couldn't use crutches, which is why I ended up in rehab. Most people would have just gone home with crutches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was wheelchair bound because my other leg is just as as weak. And I couldn't I couldn't walk on just that one leg. Sure. Sure. But anyway, um, they. Basically, the way the doctor explained it to me was, you know, one reason we operate on people is because otherwise they'll get arthritis in their ankle because it takes so long to heal. He goes, with you, that's a mute point. You've already, it's already there. Uh-huh. So we don't mm-hmm. have to worry about that. And he said, but the main reason I don't want to operate on you is because your bones are so thin that there's nothing to put the pin. Where yeah. The, the, yeah. the pin would come loose or something. Yeah. He seems 100% mm-hmm. sure I would have had surgical complications. Uh, yeah. The pin would have come loose, they would have chipped the bone yeah. or something. You already went through the mill on that one. Yeah. yeah. But, so what you said is, what you had is a heck of a lot more serious than what I went through. I don't think so. No? You said you had um, kidney failure, right? Well, yeah, I've got kidney problems. Yeah. There are That's not good. There are failure, so I have a while to go before I have to make some decisions, so... I'm cool on that. How long were you in rehab? Only because I told him I was leaving. (laughs) 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 It was was one of those things. I I called him on Tuesday and said, I'm out of here on Thursday. (laughs) We can't do that. I said, tell me why. Well, we need until next Tuesday. I said, why? Well, we need all these signatures. I said, go start right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I admire that. I, can I tell you guys a quick story real quick? Uh-huh. 2013, I was in rehab, and this was when I, when I got really sick that time. I, I got, was in the hospital. Yeah. I almost passed away. From, and I had rehab for two weeks after that. And mm-hmm. I was in there over Christmas. And the first roommate I had... I'll never forget this. Same thing you're telling me. This guy was in there for hip replacement. And it was the day before Christmas. Mm. And he's like, I'm going home today. <laughs> oh, that's nice. He goes, yeah. He goes, they don't know it yet, but I'm I'm out of here at 3 o'clock. I just called my daughter. And I go, wow, can you do that? He goes, I can go. I can get out of here anytime I want. So they t- and, and they come in at 9 o'clock, and they're like, what's going on? He goes, well, I'm leaving at 3 Oh, you can't do that. We need to have an exit meeting and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, you, 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 uh, you'd better get your group together then, because I'm out of here. <laughs> she goes, well, it's the day before Christmas. Nobody's here. Well, he goes, look, you know, 
I, I, I'm just for uh, facility. I'm here just for uh, the fact that I needed to recover from my hip surgery. I can get up, I can go to the bathroom by myself, I can walk with my cane, I can do everything else at home. I'm out of here. And they had an exit meeting in our room at 2 o'clock. They, well, you know. Yeah, but he was out for it. 48 hours. <laughs> yeah, you were nicer. You gave, you gave him a couple days. He, he gave him like five hours. <laughs> 48 hours. Yeah. And I was out on Thursday. Uh, no. I had to be taking a nap. I saw that, too. And, and, you know, the place I was at, I mean, I don't know how much of that is about money and beds and stuff. But they were pretty good with me. Because I thought I was going to be there all summer, and because it was 90 days without weight bearing, and I'm like, well, I'm, going I'm going to be in this stupid place all summer long. And yeah. the therapist saw me after two days. He's like, we got to get you out of here. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, there's nothing you can do. All we can teach you to do is to transfer. All you know, if you can transfer from your your bed to your chair, your chair to the toilet, and you can get up and downstairs on you know on your butt, which you're doing mm-hmm. already, yeah. by yourself. There's nothing we can do for you. You've already. So you might as well go home and be bored. Oh, yeah. well, oh. well, I'm glad you're doing okay. My gosh, you've you've been down the road with this one. Yeah, well, it was just I just feel so stupid because it was just I'm just walking across the road. Um, I'm, it happened. I mean, how can yeah, you I know. Yeah. You know, That's what I keep telling myself. Stupid <laughs> <laughs> you know, is hitting yourself with a hammer. That's stupid. But yeah. No, you didn't. Yeah, that's true. Stupid. But I mean, I, I'd feel better if I was like, you know, if I'd been playing a baseball game or <laughs> I don't know, doing something that we're like, okay, I broke my ankle, get all active, but. Remember, that's what happened to Gene Kelly. He was, you know, he was going to be in the movie with Judy Garland, Easter Parade, and he was playing baseball and broke his ankle sliding to second base. So, I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. The, I'm surprised the movie the studio would even have that in the contract that he could play ball, you know. Yeah, really. You know. That's like a lot of these uh, professional athletes. I'll get off the phone because I know people are wanting to call in here, but. Sure. Professional athletes and stuff where they can't ride motorcycles, yep. they can't do this, or can't play basketball, mm-hmm. yep. pick up ball, or any of that, because they don't want to get hurt. So. That's true. But, no, I'm almost at the end, though. Another another 10 days, I lose the cast. All right. All right, Fred. Are you going to report in and let us know how you did? I will do that. Perfect. Okay. You guys have a nice day. Right, you too, Fred. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It- this is endearing, saying good night. <laughs> good night. <laughs> okay, so we've got endearing. I need to know by email what Dan would like to be called and Celeste as well. Yeah. Fam- I did look up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. And family members, if you like to figure out your nickname ahead of time before next Saturday, next Saturday's a new month. You know, it's the start of, it's the start of college football season. Well, no, Patricia will have, have college football questions all next Saturday night. Now, see, the, all right, there we are. So this is another reason I should not have my television reconnected. <laughs> I just, just, just let it go. That's why I was telling Mom did it, that Mom and I were discussing the bills, and she was saying, I said, well, Patricia was scratching her, what, her head. Why is she paying for 19 sports channels, you know, sort of, yeah. you know. And I'm not going. And I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> I'm it. Who 
what was that network? The, the show network was the news broadcaster uh-huh. who had kind of a breakdown, yep. I guess. And he yep. opened the window and screamed out, I'm, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to yeah, right. anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. And he had the entire New York City screaming yeah. out the window. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. Okay, before I go, I did look up William Proxmire mm-hmm. and the Golden Fleece Award. That was correct. For the time he was in the Senate, 1975 to 13 see if we can find a list. There's probably some Wooloo winners on that whole 13-year run. There's probably award a few. Winners. Here we are. Award winners. I have some award winners, so I will do my homework yep. on this one. That would be fun for yeah. for the following one week. for Patricia to do homework for, and I was supposed to do homework for something this week, and I did it, but I, it's on the other computer, whatever <laughs> it was. So, all right. I can give you one presidential question, and then I have to say goodnight. All right, my dear. All right, and and we still have to find out who's going to get um, put in front of the firing squad, Bob and Ray or Richard Diamond. Yeah, so far I haven't heard a I haven't heard a vote for Bob Bob and Ray, so I I think I'm safe. Well, we haven't heard anything about <laughs> except my former, and I stand by my choice. Wait till Christmas comes. <laughs> oh, gee. I'll be ready. I'll have my suit of armor. Okay. Which president hired Tiffany? You know Tiffany's in New York? Yep. The really yep. high-end, you can't yep. have a tissue for less than $48. Yep. Um, which president hired Tiffany to bring what is called the Gilded Age of Opulence to the White House? Well, it's called a Gilded Age. It was 1890. Um... Well, this is what they called the White House to bring a Gilded Age opulence. Well, you're right. No, that would have been Gilded Age. Yeah, I, right. I, I'm sorry. I'm trying to do a clarification. Let's go with uh, Grover Cleveland. No, you can have one more. William McKinley. No, it was Chester Arthur. Ah. And it was at the beginning of 1882. Mm, really? And... Apparently, the, the previous tenants had complained about the deplorable, um, endured, really uh, depressing look that the White House had. Wow. So he decided he was going to do something about it. And he brought Tiffany in to uh, do this thing. Apparently, wow. he did a very nice job. Wow. But, and I think it cost a lot more than Nancy Reagan's dishes. <laughs> 
I saw something on Facebook that they there was somebody who who claiming he's the biggest private collector of White House China. So yeah, you know, it must like, have been the one who won it from <laughs> Howard Taft. <laughs> Was it Taft? Who was the president? I think you're right. It was Taft, yeah. White House China. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently, uh, from what I have read, it was not just nice China. It was priceless. It was one of these priceless things that had been passed down in the White House. And he lost it in a poker game. He had a gambling problem. And he bet the White House China and lost. Well, that's called high stakes, right, isn't it? I think it's called yes. <laughs> I don't know what you'd do with uh, with the White House China high stakes. Yeah, that would that would be pretty high stakes. So. Can you imagine coming All home? Right. Can you imagine coming home from a poker game and say, "Honey, I I, I we're a little short this week. I've lost the White House China." I mean, wouldn't that be a interesting conversation? Oh, I mean, who would you? T- can you imagine that happening today with the news? Oh no no oh oh nobody would say a word about it, right? Oh, oh. <laughs> how how did anybody find out and who? Squeal. Well, I guess the guy who won the China. Yeah. <laughs> you know, anytime, anytime mm. a person, more than one person knows a secret, it isn't a secret anymore. You think you think the guy who won the China must have had it displayed at a house? What do you think? I don't know. Would what you, would somebody do with the White House China? What would you do with the White House China? So Patricia won the White House China in a poker game. What would you yeah. do, my dear? I wouldn't take it. I mean, it's as simple as that. I wouldn't take it. So you I would just... take a note from the president <laughs> that said you won this game, and you refuse to take the prize, but not identify the prize or the bet or the pot. I guess they call it the pot. Um, but no, I mean, I I think I would not. Add to the disgrace of doing something like that. No, I, I, I would. What would you do? Oh, that's that. It's the I probably would take it home for a couple of days and take it back and negotiate oh. a better deal. In something priceless, I don't think I would trust it to even be packed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you broke a cup and saucer. <laughs> what would happen? You deplete. I mean, the the value of it is just plummeted. Yeah. And so you, you be able to, yeah. so, so get you just take an IOU for the press? Oh, you can crash into a wall. What are you going to do with a plate? <laughs> well, would you take an IOU for the president? No, I would take a note that I had won the pot legitimately mm-hmm. and declined with a signature. That's all I would. That's all I would ask for. I remember. And then he'd bet it again. Why would I? Be- <laughs> Maybe, maybe I should just take it home and keep it. Say, keep it safe. Yeah, keep it. Wait till he wait 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 till he leaves off, and then you can return it back to the White House. Okay, then you know. And you can return it to the White House. I think that would probably be a safer thing. I I remember one time my my uncle Jim was playing golf with the governor of Hawaii, and so they had a bet, and uh, the bet was with the dollar. And so my uncle Jim asked it to be autographed, and he said, the governor said, well, just don't make sure you don't tell anybody I'm autographing the dollar to you. That's all. So now well, everybody... Is. Having it. You can't uh, show it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that goes in a frame on the wall. Yeah, yeah. Gee, Willikers. I know. Or the $2 that's hanging still on my little bulletin board strip here 
that came to me from California that I haven't returned yet. Thank you for the reminder. Yeah, and it's nice that we have we have completed the accomplishment because he General Mills uh, have granted Martin Graham permission, so he's like just working out. He just wants to make. Yeah, we're he, talking about Jack Armstrong. Freeing Jack Armstrong. Yes. And Patricia okay, done her deal. Yeah. It's, it's past my bedtime. I know. Do so, I have to take A, B, or may I take C? And where is C? I would like C. Oh, could you do and a... Actually, I could do A and C, which go together very well. Okay. You're not going to do... Would you do, will you do a little B for me tomorrow? I will do a little bit of B. Tomorrow. Because I have every night practiced <laughs> sitting... And then standing, which I, has been, you know, I mean, sitting yep. on the floor. And then getting up from the floor, which that, has been a critical problem for yep. more than two years. And now I can do it. So, if you promise to do that for me. Uh-huh. Then I can do A and C. Uh-huh. I love it. Okay, oh, you can do B. Yep, do, do B tomorrow, and you, should, you can do A and C tonight. No, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do B tonight. Okay. I mean... You know, how, how much of an effort is it to sit on the balls of a government? But I mean, sit on the floor, stick my feet out like I were sitting on a beach, mm -hmm. and get up from that position. And it's, I mean, it's not the easiest thing in the world I've ever done, but my goodness, it's not the hardest either. No, just do it once for me. Okay. That's all I ask. Okay. And for, and for a family, we have found some new technical program. One of them. What we're gonna play, and Patricia will get kicked out of this. The time when get this as a triumphant guess. They were at a, a premiere. They were at a fundraiser event for the Actors Fund. So Texan Jinx was sitting with Sid Caesar. That's a pretty good name, right? Mhm. Mm Tennessee Williams. Yeah. Tennessee Williams. Ooh. Marlon Brando. Oh my gosh. And Marilyn Monroe. And this is Texan Jinx. Texan Jinx. So that's what we're gonna play for wow. yeah, for the next twenty five minutes, the time they just sat there and Marlon Brando took took over and started to interview the people. Yeah, he he had a takeover person. <laughs> he did. He did. He he was a commanding personality and could do things that other people could not get away with. And this without was, consequences anyway. I mean, yep. certainly they could do it, but they would have consequences that he never faced. So this was 1955 when this happened. So that's what we're going to play okay. first, Patricia. Well, I guess I'm, I know what I'm going to do. I can, I can go to bed uh -huh. with my headset, have my book aside waiting for me, yep. and listen as long as I can <laughs> to the 50 to the 25 minutes. <laughs> Is busy. That's good. We like that. Yeah. Okay. So you've got thirty seconds. I've got a couple of minutes to get up and down from the floor. Yep. And then we can carry on. So good. Well, do I'll play a song that way you can get your you get your exercises in first. Do my thing. Just stand up. Sit yep. down. Stand up. Okay. On the floor. All right. Yeah. I mean, I can get up from a chair, but not the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cool. I'm cool. If I get knocked down, I have to figure out how to stand up, and I can do that Call now. me. Call me. Take, nice. take the phone on the floor and call me. I'll, I'll come out and get you. Would you really? I would. And they gave me one of these 
lifeline things. Yep. That if I get in that terrible mess, I can press it and somebody will come and help me. Yep. So I got it for 60 days for free. I think my 60 days are pretty much up. So somebody's going to come and take it, and I have to decide whether or not at this stage yep. do I really need it. So we shall see. We okay. shall see. But I have to get out of here. <laughs> All know, right, Doyle. You sent me to bed almost a half an hour ago. I know. Thank you, Nolan, if you're still with us. Thank you for spending time with us. Amen. Oh, my gosh, you are just terrific. Thank you, Walden. All Good right. night, everybody. Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. All right, everybody. We're going to play a few a few songs of Perry Como. That way Patricia can get her exercises in. Because that's important. To me, baby, whisper in my ear. Talk to me, baby, whisper in my ear. I come a little closer, don't have no fear. Don't you know? Don't you worry, my pretty, don't lose my head. There's dimples on her elbows, dimples on her knees. Dimples on her elbows, dimples on her knees. She thrills and thrills me just a little squeeze. Don't you know, Kokomo, that I love you so? Talk, talk, talk to me, baby, whisper in my Everybody here on Yesterday USA, and it is 23 minutes after 10 o'clock here in California, Saturday night, August 27th, here 2016. Patricia's doing her Florida exercises, and we'll play another song or two, and then we'll get into Texan and Jinks with Sid Caesar, Tennessee Williams, Marlon Brando. And Mel Monroe at the guest in 1955 for 25 minutes. Before that, we'll say a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the 
opportunity being with everybody tonight. Bless our country. Look after the ones who are struggling, Lord, the needy, the poor, the hungry. Help us do the right things around the world. Feed those who need you, Lord. Help those who need encouragement and financial difficulties, Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Here's another Perry. Tina Marie. Hoop, hoop, hoop. Hip, I didn't know I could sail. Hip, hip. Like a penny boat in the gale. What she's doing will be the ruin of me. Oh, oh, aha. Tina, 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 Tina. Aha, you sweet little schemer, Tina Marie. Tina, Tina Marie. Oh, what you do? Your brand of voodoo's too much for me. Tina, 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 Tina. Aha. Oh, how I dream of stealing your charms. Gonna marry a son that I'll carry her off in my arms. Oh ho, aha. Hip, I used to be a good time joke. Hip, hip, kiss a gal and just let her go. Go, go. Hup, I really was dealing free till Latina Marie. Mr. Cupid, you stacked the deck. Why'd you throw me a queen by heck? Now she's bragging, she's fixed my wagon for me. Oh, oh, ah, ha, Tina, 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 aha, you sweet little schemer, Tina Marie. Tina, Tina Marie. Oh, what you do? Your brand of voodoo's too much for me. Tina, 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 aha, oh, oh, how I dream of stealing your charms. Gonna marry a son that I'll carry her off in my arms. Oh, ho! Hip, she tells me to jump and a jump. Jump, jump, hoop. She tells me to dance and a dance. Gotta listen or get no kiss from Tina Marie. Hip, 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 she really did clip my wings. Clip, clip, hoop. I'm looking at wedding rings. Is it human the thing she's doing to me? Oh, ho! Tina, 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 aha, oh, I dream of stealing your charms. I'm gonna marry a son that I'll carry you off in my arms. Off in my arms. Oh, ha, ha, Tina Marie. One more song from Perry Como. What you do to me? It's so new to me. What you do to me? Hot diggity dog, diggity boom. What you do to me when you're holding me tight? Never dreamed anybody could kiss that away, bring me bliss that away. What a kiss that away! What a wonderful feeling to feel that away. Tell me where have you been all my life? Oh, hot diggity dog, diggity boom, what you do to me? It's so new to me, what you do to me? Hot diggity dog, diggity boom, what you do to me? When you're holding me tight. 
never knew that my heart could go zing that away, tingling that away, make me sing that away. Said goodbye to my troubles, they went that away. Ever since you came into my life, oh, hot diggity dog, diggity boom, what you do to me? It's so new to me. What you do to me, hot diggity dog, diggity boom, what you do to me when you're holding me tight? For two that away, skies are blue that away, dreams come true that away. If you say I can share it with you that away, I'll be happy the rest of my life. Oh, hot diggity dog, diggity boom, what you do to me? It's so new to me. What you do to me, hot diggity dog, diggity boom, what you do to me when you're holding me tight? Oh, hot diggity dog, diggity boom, what you do? Here's a Jaws help topic for sound. Alt tab. Alt tab. Sound. Alt tab. Jaws professional. Windows M. M. Jaws Pro M. Windows M. M. Alt tab. Jaws professional. Alt tab. Sound for Alt tab. Jaws updates of Windows M. Desktop M. My con M. My documents. Enter. File exp once T Tex and Jinx nineteen fifty five with Marlon Brando Sid Caesar and Marilyn Monroe SF Tex and Jinx nineteen fifty five with Marlon Brando Sid Caesar and Marilyn Monroe unloading jaws can okay enter doc can okay enter Marilyn Monroe and Marlon <laughs> How are you? Meeting Mary Markman and uh, Marlon Brando, and I wish it had been on mic because he came up just behind Marlon and um, tapped him on the shoulder and said hello. Mary, are you leaving? I'm going to have to go, but thank you for this night, Tennessee. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't get up there, please. It's just wonderful. It's just absolutely wonderful. Thank you, I saw you at the bar uh, in the picture, too. You'll always be Mary, we'll see you on stage a little bit later with Heller and on NBC television when Mary Martin goes on screen again as Peter Pan. I, uh, I think we better pause quickly for station identification, and then we'll be right back with around the microphone now, Marlon Brando, Tennessee Williams, and Sid Caesar? Yes. <laughs> or thereabouts. All right. And I think it is. WRCA, WRCA FM, New York. Bim, 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 for value. Bim, save that bim, bim, save that bim, bim, bim on Christmas gifts this year. Bim plays Santa Claus for you with money-saving cheer. For discounts, 
Yes, folks, Christmas comes early this year to the 56 neighborhood Vim stores, early enough for you to get the best-known refrigerators, washers, TV sets at the lowest prices in town. This is Tex McCurry, Back to the Wall, by the doggone collection of stars, a real constellation, clustered around the mics with Jinx, Tennessee Williams, Marlon Brando, Marilyn Monroe, and Ted Caesar. I hope Cyber and Richter's don't mind if I rush it tonight, but here we go. This is the beginning of the end, the first day of the last week before Christmas, and we all... Mr. Caesar, um, I hate to break up this conversation you're having with Marilyn Monroe. It's a very nice conversation, I must say. <laughs> but um, I was told that you had to disappear quickly because Mr. Caesar's waiting for you, so... Um, yeah. You want to be on and, and leave? How can you leave this, though? Oh, whatever you want, I can sit here and watch her. Marilyn, I can watch all the time. <laughs> Marilyn, you want to get down here? Go ahead. No, no, I'm kidding. I just didn't want to interrupt, but, uh, Sid, are you a movie fan, or are you just concentrating on television these days? Well, I'm, I'm both. I, I, uh, I'm a movie fan. I love movies, and, uh, but I'm concentrating on television. When you see a movie like The Rose Tattoo, which opened tonight, does it make you want to go back and make another picture? Well, I only made one. <laughs> Cars and Spars, That's I remember. Right. Uh... I would like to make a picture, yes, but uh, I don't know uh, when it will be or how it will be. But I, I, I've been trying to make a picture now for uh, several years, but I've just never made, I mean, got the right connection or got to it. This is your Monday night when you're usually on television, but this is the fourth Monday, I take it, That's so you right, weren't on a, tonight. A week off. You get a week off from time well, to time. It. And so you go out, but you don't well, have a chance to do too much, do you? No, I don't go out all the time. I, uh, usually I just uh, sit home. This was a, a lucky break for me. I mean, uh, just happened on a Monday night, and I, uh, I took advantage of it. How, how is Nanette Fabre? She's, she's much better, thank you. I'll tell you, I, I, get a, I get more of a kick out of just sitting around here with all the stars as, uh, as anybody else. Do you really? How do oh, you yeah. feel sitting at a table with Marilyn Monroe at your right, Marlon Brando in front of you, and the great playwright, Tennessee Williams, uh, directly in front of you. I don't know. It's, it's, it's fabulous. If anybody told me this this afternoon, I wouldn't believe it. It's dazzling, isn't it? I get a kick out of it. Believe yeah. me. Would you like to ask uh, Mr. Williams or Marlon or Marilyn anything? This is live. Before I take over, yes, it's live, Marlon. We're on the air. This is live. How was just said to me? Are, you you, uh, are we arrested yet or what? <laughs> Marissa and uh, 
the boy were together. You know, love scene which you were talking about the uh, just beautiful lighting. But they have a new kind of film that they're using now, the hypersensitive film. It shows feeling. <laughs> it shows feeling. And uh, they can uh, they can get a lot of wonderful uh, uh, photographic effects with very little light. I even think that they can they can. Uh, Photograph with the light of the candle or something like that, wasn't it? What they said? But the thing that was marvelous about this film that I think that is an innovation in American filmmaking is the fact that Danny allowed for the simple in-between moments in life. We don't see any of that in American films. It's kind of hygienic and clean-cut, and there are no loose edges. And it was the in-between moments and the little tiny uh, casual moments that. Uh, you know, very few uh, actors can can uh, can create that Danny left in. Usually, directors completely direct around that kind of performance, that kind of. But to me, that's that's really where the you know the poetry of human relations uh, and uh, uh, human existence on the film uh, has merit and has worth. And there was so many lovely moments that you just sort of able to to reach inside of her brain and her feeling that uh, and she gave a very interesting performance because she played on several different levels i think she uh, she played <coughs> she stretched the character uh out of shape without you knowing it for instance in the comic scene where she was comic it was funny it was really kind of a broad low part you know mm -hmm. some of the things she did she didn't go smoothly and that other moment she was very elegant and very sensitive and very aware. And that other moment she was, she was, uh, you know, like a marvelous, stupid peasant woman. Mm. And, uh, uh... You liked it, Marlon. What? <laughs> you liked it. Yes. Uh, Ma, you said one thing that, uh... Listen, by the way, I never saw you looking so young and handsome. Thank you very much, and I'm good. Same to you. <laughs> I never looked, uh, yeah. <laughs> you said one thing about, um the in-between moments. I'm going to do a thing on it. I've been working on it oh, practically for, for years now. What happens, you know, when they fade out on a scene in movies and then they fade up in the morning? All I show you is an, a big ashtray full of cigarettes, you know? Yeah. That's all I show you. But let's see. And a rumpled tie. That's right. <laughs> or a pair of shoes. Yeah. But uh, I would like to show these moments, you know, the, the in-between moments, <laughs> of what happens between, you know? They just fade out, you know? The guy is... Uh, what uh, they the just gave him the message. The dog was run over. The son is up on, uh, you know, is, is locked up or this or that. And then this night has to pass where nothing can be done. And the well, night I'm has confused. to pass. I think, I'm thinking of something that's a little more fun than what you're thinking about. I don't quite understand what you mean. The time that, the time that elapses. Yeah. In between. Uh, generally speaking. Yeah. I mean, like you say, it's hygienically cut out. Yeah. And, uh, it's it's not uh, they don't show you this this is what you don't have to go through but what but in in life you do have to go through it i think that the, the, the american audiences aren't aren't really up to waiting they don't care i don't think that american audiences really have you know uh, developed a level of sophistication whereby they can appreciate oh i think that you think so oh yeah well but then how do you explain the fact that most foreign films don't go here and that they make a foreign film for instance from the that really is, uh, for instance, in a French film, 
Or I get to show the picture of a guy getting up in the morning. He yawns, he brushes his teeth, he looks in the mirror for half an hour, stares at his nose, and uh, picks his scalp, then uh, stares at the drain and turns around and goes out and sits down and he watches me to breakfast and takes some of the fish some of the seeds out of the orange juice. Or uh, or uh, roll the bread up into little balls and throw it out the window, and then they take him downstairs to the office, and they they follow him through the door and downstairs and in the taxi and in the other door. And American audiences, I mean Americans, have just simply, you know, cut right along. And Look, we have the most yeah, that's what I was saying. movie star in America today. Excuse me, Marlon Brando. I'm going to give it a phone. Marilyn Monroe sitting there listening to you two, Sid Caesar and, and Marlon listening, and I have a feeling that she has something she can add about all this, or were you able to hear their very serious Hello, conversation? Yes, very interesting conversation. Enjoyed the picture immensely, and I think her performance was marvelous. You've been working at the actor's studio now as an actress, actually, Marilyn, or are you still an observer there? I'm an, I'm an observer student at the actor's studio. She's an actress, I'm an All right, that's and besides that, she's late tonight. She was late what? She was late. She was uh, supposed to be in that room. She only served one person. And the traffic was terrible. Huh? The traffic. Well, I'm not glad you that. Marilyn, I've heard from Marlon and from other people who have worked at the actor's studio that... Um, it's awfully good to, to keep acting, to keep performing and learning, and that at the Actors Studio, under Lee Strasberg's direction, you have a chance to play and develop uh, maybe um, a role that you'd never have a chance to do on screen or on stage. Is there any one part that you're working on there? <clears throat> uh, let's see. Yes, I'm going to do a scene uh, with Maureen Stapleton shortly. Who played, uh, you know, in a rose tattoo on the stage? On Broadway, yes. What are you, you going to do? We're doing uh, Noel Coward's Fallen Angel. Fallen Angel? Yes. I don't know <clears throat> Are these the sort of things that you would like eventually to do on stage or on screen, or are you just doing it to develop as, as an actress, Marilyn? Yes. But... <laughs> <laughs> So, Marlon explained on the air last week that, that you were taking it very seriously and that you were really working at it. Yes, I am working with Lee Strasberg, also in his private classes. She's working hard at it. It's hard to, you know, kind of say, you know, I'm working hard at it. And I'm <laughs> well, I'd like to know what she does. What do you do at the actor's studio? I've never, I've never been there. I've just heard about it. Uh, do you go every day? Do you go regularly? Or do you, do you work on a part alone and then yeah, go? Yeah, the studio I go twice a week. And uh, to Lee's classes, uh, the class that I participate in, I go twice a week also. And I also go to his other classes to observe. You do uh, imp improvisation, don't you? That's what we worked on when we went to. Yeah. What improvisation have you done? I, I did... Uh, James George Ulysses, part of Molly Bloom. You improvised that? Yes. Well, no, well, you improvised James Joyce. No point, but... No, but I mean, mm. they have you, you know, get up and do a little thing. Mm. Doesn't Lee have you get up and do improvisations mm. that you create yourself? Well... You know, I like you've got your foot caught in a subway grating and... 
and somebody comes up and says, can I help you? And, and you're hurrying to the dentist and, you know, your faulty platter out and, you know. Well, mostly I've been uh, doing acting acting guys on the stage, what? which I won't go into. You mean scenes? And also exercise. I don't mean lifting well, weights or something. Did you, you done the one where, where you're in a barnyard? No, I haven't done that one yet. Huh? Did you do any? Did you do any animal improvisation? Yes, I'm working on a cat. You are? Yes. I'm working on a tree. <laughs> Wait a minute. I haven't made it yet, but I, I Marla, think it's an elf. explain what that is, when you, uh, the one about the barnyard. What is that? Is that I never understood it. They said you're a chicken and whore, declared, and they left me alone. And you have to improvise from there? Uh, you're guessing as good as mine. No, uh, actually, um, actually, I don't know. <laughs> what, what is the method that I've, I've read about and heard about uh, uh, that has to do with, with the technique at the actor's studio. What is the method that they talk about? Well, that's what 50 million actors would like to know, too. Yeah. It's an age-old argument, and, you know, you could spend 12 hours in Walgreens drugstore <laughs> arguing about that. Stanislavski uh, wrote several long tomes on the subject. Did you hear me say toems instead of tomes? Anyhow, um, this would really be... I think, I, I think that, you know, it's, poss it's impossible to really be... Well, listen, Marilyn, get your licks in here, girl. You, you tell us, Marilyn. Yes, you explain the method. What is it? That, is, it is it a different type of acting? Is it a different technique? Well, I think it started with Stanislavski, but uh, many people have added to it, and... Um, Well, Boleslavski is a very good bowler. He was a tremendous actor in bowling, but he used to watch the pins go down. And as the pins go down, he would, you know, tell people, form a formation of pins. Oh, then he would roll a ball of them, and he would fall control. down as a pin. I'm with you. And once you get past the pin stage, mm -hmm. that's when uh, acting, acting is just what you are, you know. Uh -huh. It just comes out. That's what it is. And nobody can, I, I mean, I, I believe in, in teaching and things like that, but it mostly has to come from the, the individual itself. Marilyn, had you, ever, had, had you ever studied acting before going to the actor's studio? Yes, but not in this way. Just acting on a, on a part that you were going to do on screen, you mean? Yes, but... No, Marilyn, the first time... Oh, wait, 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 No, go ahead. The first time I ever saw Marilyn, I was in the Coast Guard. I went and see a play. I was in the Coast Guard. Oh. And I bought tickets to see a, a play called I Remember Mama. I Remember Mumble? I Remember Mama. <laughs> oh. And you played the part of a little Swedish boy, and I thought it was just so great. And I wasn't in the acting business, and I was a musician. And, but I wasn't a musician in the Coast Guard. I what was, did you play? Uh, I played saxophone, clarinet, flute, played with Claude Fawn, you know, Sheffield. Uh, by Charlie Spielberg. Oh, yeah, I've played since I was 15. Have you ever seen okay. Sid Caesar's uh, impersonation of, not you, Marlon, but Stanley Kowalski in A Streetcar Named Desire? He's done that on television a couple of times, you know. Well, yeah. and I uh, roared with laughter. I yeah. thought, as a matter of fact, I saw Max showed it to me one day. I went out to the yeah. office and well, he put I, it on. I tell you, I mean, uh, they wanted me to do a, 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 an impression of Marlon several times, which I would never do. 
because I respect him as a, uh, I think, one of the greatest young actors. It's a big boot. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I'll only do it, you know, if it's, if it's the right thing. Not just to do it, just for that, you know? We had a, an idea once, which I was going to call, Marilyn, you look so beautiful. <laughs> You're so nice. Thank you. But uh, we were going to do a, a French version of a, uh, of uh, On the Waterfront. <laughs> A short one, you know, about ten minutes long. <laughs> a French <laughs> model, you know, which would have been great. And I, uh, I watched it. We, uh, we didn't do it yet. I don't, I don't know if we'll do it or not. Listen, did you ever think of playing a series part, a straight part? Well, I've talked a, a lot about it, but uh, I'm not a uh, an actor. I'm, I, uh, I'm a. No, listen. I think that it is because you are an actor that you are as good as you are. Because well, I think that all your performances really have a basis in reality. I think well, you, go ahead. You have to. I mean, even uh, in comedy, I mean, which uh, is not ridiculous. Uh, which uh, doesn't sound ridiculous because even in comedy, people know uh, if you believe in what you're doing. And as soon as they sense bang like that, they don't believe anymore. You can stand on your head with your eyes folded and your nose crossed and you'll not get a laugh. Mm -hmm. But if they believe that you believe in what you're doing, no matter how silly it is. If it's a, if it's a half-truth, even. <laughs> even if it's a half-truth, if they know that you believe it, they'll respect your belief in it, and they'll go along with you. But once they sense it, there's a, a sense between an audience and a, and a performer, that once that's that feeling, that rapport, that, that I, I can't explain it, but once they find out it's like an animal almost. An animal knows when you're afraid of them, and an animal knows when you're not afraid of them. But as soon as they feel it, an audience is not with you anymore, and there's nothing you can do to get them back. But as, as long as they believe that you believe in what you're doing, they'll give you the respect and watch you, and they'll go along with you. Then it's up to you how good you are. Sid Caesar, Marlon Brando, and Marilyn Monroe, wait one minute. Let them go. Just one second. Goodbye, Marlon. Thank you very much. And goodbye. Sid, goodbye. goodbye. Marilyn, before they whisk you away from here, um, have you decided, are you going to make bus stop on screen? Well, when and if it's worked out, um, I would like to. But that depends. Uh -huh. And what about doing a play? I've read that you really are serious about doing a play on Broadway. Are you thinking about that? Is that often in the distant future, or is it something you'd like to do very soon? Well, it's, it's most certainly in the distant future, but I would like to one time I hope to be able to. Do you know who this is right over yes. there? Have you ever met yes, Miss Helen Hayes? Yes. The first lady of the American theater. Yes. Oh, thank you, dear. We met the other day at the actor's studio, didn't we? That's right. We're both observers. <laughs> well, you can observe this lady and... Um, learn, I suppose, everything there is to know about the theater, who this year is celebrating her 50th anniversary, believe it or not, on the stage. With a great, great party, the first night ball at the Waldorf in the Grand Ballroom of the night of December 30th. Thank you very much, Marilyn. Nice to see you again here at the Actors Studio Benefit. We'll see you inside later. Nice to see you. Tex, 
I, I don't know what's happening. There are photographers all around, and I can't see a clock. What is the schedule? All right, why don't you sit down at the mic now for a moment, would you? Okay. We've had great activity here for the last uh, 45 minutes, as you may have heard, and um, <laughs> I, I never had uh, as many people helping interview guests as we had when Sid Caesar and Marlon Brando and Tennessee Williams and Marilyn Monroe were sort of asking questions of each other, which was fun, but I couldn't see a clock, so Tex, you, you help me get organized, will you? All right, that was Tex and Jinx. We're going to pull another one out. This one they talk about a new book on the Algonquin Hotel runs about 15 minutes, so stand by. Jaws Professional Documents. Texan Jason 1952 about the Algonquin Hotel. SFK Texan Jason 1952 about the Algonquin Hotel. Unloading Jaws. Okay, enter. Document. Third by Frank Case, The Other Tales of a Wayward End by Frank Case. There's a very special dedication right on the cover, but suppose we let the new boss of the Algonquin, Ben Bodney, read that dedication. Could you, Ben? Thank you. This book about your favorite hotel will bring many moments of amusement during your stay with us. As a guest, it is here for your pleasure, but there will be many to take this room after you, who too would enjoy reading it. So please, may they have the same opportunity. Sign the Algonquin, then be Bodney Preston. And uh, that means that people have, have read this and uh, taken it seriously because not a book has ever been taken from a room, has it? Well, there have been some books taken, and I hope to take many more because the more books are taken, the more publicity Algonquin gets, the more people want to come back to the Algonquin to see just what it looks like. Oh, I thought you said a, a story was being done uh, about the fact that uh, these books are in every room, and I thought you said that they were left there. Well, that is a story, but uh, it's still a story. Oh, I see. Well, now, Mr. Brodney, tell me about this, this dream you've had uh, ever since your honeymoon at the Algonquin. You've always wanted to own it, haven't you? Well, I spent my honeymoon at the Algonquin. 27 years ago, and my wife fell in love with the hotel, and uh, we've always been fond of show people and everything pertaining to the show world, and when we spent our honeymoon at the Algonquin, she said to me, gee, I wish we owned this place, I said, well, maybe someday we will. Did it look at all like this picture uh, in those days? Well, that's way back there. I when was this picture taken? This, this was taken in 1907. It has a few changes when we put our honeymoon. Two changes in the front downstairs. Well, this is how it looked in 1907. Uh, right. You've made some changes. I, I think uh, uh, people didn't realize that you were going to do as much to it as you did when you bought it in 1946, wasn't it? I bought it in 1946, and the changes I've made... Uh, I haven't changed the, uh, the decor. I've, I've repainted. I've taken the old furnishings that have been there all these years and I've done them over. And people who haven't been the Argonne for many years, 
don't realize the changes I've made. I've done it in such a way. But you haven't changed the round table, have I you? I haven't changed it, and I never will. Well, we want very much now, Mr. Ben Bodney, to uh, move right out on 44th Street, where we are at this moment. Go right down, uh, just off 6th Avenue, right? Correct. Do you think we could move into uh, uh, your dining room there? What's it called? The Oak Room. The Oak Room. And take a look at the round table, see who's sitting there now with Tex. I don't know whether I'm entitled to invite you in or not, because I'm a guest at the famous round table at the Algonquin. And along with me, two other guests, Alan Lerner, daddy of Paint Your Wagon, and Anita Lewis, mommy of Gentlemen Prefer, Blondes, and Gigi, and an old hand at the round table, daddy of so many things beyond count, Harry Hirschfield. Harry, there are certain strict rules and traditions about this round table, and I think you better fill me in. Well, you're going to get it right away, Tex. You know, the first time you come as a guest to the round table at the Algonquin, an inviolate rule. You can't join in the conversation. In fact, all you can do is break bread with it the first time. You break heads the second time. You can break bread. Mind if I use that? Yes, let us break pieces. with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all ought to. <laughs> all right. Harry, right. <laughs> 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 but I do. But we always have to start off with a story. When you sit down at lunch at the Algonquin, just to strike the general hilarity, you have a story of some kind. All right, that doesn't apply just to the round table. That applies to any table at which you sit. Well, uh, in the old round <laughs> table, I was uh, sort of in the old round table too. The days of Wolcott and all those boys and FBA. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know how I felt about that old round table? I feel more comfortable than the one I'm in now. But the old one I always felt with, you know, all those literati, ooh, you know. I always felt like the teacher that said, Julius, how do you spell imbecile? Yeah. He says, I-M-M-B-E-S-S-E-L-L. Says, Julius, the dictionary spells it I-M-B-E-C-I-L-E. This teacher, you didn't ask me how the dictionary spelled it. You asked me how I spelled it. <laughs> uh, you, you felt a little uncomfortable at the original one, but this new generation of geniuses, you uh, you, you feel all right with it. Well, uh, yes. Uh, it, though it is, uh, the more a thing really changes, the more it is the same. The only thing that's the same about it, that those who sit at the round table are people who can always afford the price of those meals. <laughs> I mean, they're successful enough yeah. to pay for it. Do they let uh, newspaper men other than yourself come to the uh, round table? Oh, yes. That has become sort of a little news center. Yeah. Uh, Leonard Lyons comes around all the time. Yeah. Earl Wilson comes around. Uh, they're sort of ex-officio members mm-hmm. of this thing. Of course, uh, you would like to know who is at the new round table? Would you yeah. like to know? Yeah. Yeah. Would, would you like to know? Yeah. Well, they're all men of standing in the line, but it's diversified. Is more or less the crowd were the old New York World crowd, yeah. and uh, and uh, attendance newspapers and ideas. But we have Mr. Louis Neiser, the famous yeah. attorney and author. We have Mr. Conrad Bertavisi. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the socialite insurance man, Mr. Elmer Letterman. Yeah. And we have uh, Mr. Jack Ellicott. Uh, you know, Film Daily and uh, Radio Daily. And we have um, Martin Quigley. And we have uh, men like uh, Frank Kingdon. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, a little different than the old one, just a little different, is that we are invite guests, and they can come to our guests, and they all have to do what you do, Jesse Lasky, Barney Balaban, or a governor or a senator, and we've had them all, even police commissioners. First time, they just have to listen. And we well, why, do you, why do you say even police commissioners? Are some of you nervous? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, we are. <laughs> I'm always on my good behavior when they come around. <laughs> well, now, do you mind if I fire one question to one of your guests and then I'll oh, uh, No, don't leave. <laughs> don't leave now. Anita, you, you have a special sort of superstitious feeling about working at the Algonquin, don't you? Yes, because when I first came to New York, I lived at the Algonquin, and I wrote my first uh, movies for Douglas Fairbanks there. Not the first movies you ever wrote, because no. you wrote the first movies at 14, and no, that's too young to stay there. <laughs> well, in those days, I lived in California. Yeah, yeah. But you really started out. I the, started out writing at the Algonquin, yes. A lot of people feel that it's good luck to write a part of a play at the Algonquin. You, you feel that way, don't you? Oh, yes, very decidedly. I've written uh, three plays in the Algonquin now. I wrote Brigadoon there, yeah. and uh, we wrote a great deal of Pinch Wagon there. And we always try and end up writing it there. Then we start in California. We came back and finished it at the Algonquin. You bring it there for yeah, lunch. Sure. Uh, do you write just a book, or uh, is it permissible to sing at the Algonquin? No, they have the management. Well, the manager is very kind about that, yeah. because they uh, they know the more successes you write, the longer you will stay there, or be able to afford it anyhow. <laughs> you mean the yeah. Algonquin, like other hotels, believes in solvent genius? Absolutely. They're far there. Uh, uh, before, you know, uh, Tex, also two other great plays were written there. One was Green Patches by Mark Connolly. That's the Algonquin. Yes, and mm -hmm. alias Jimmy Valentine by Armstrong and Meisner. That's why you're still nervous about police commissions. <laughs> 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 yes, it is grand. Um, uh, I, um, you know, uh, you have the advantage of the questions. You know? Yeah, I know. All right. <laughs> you talk them. Harry, um, how about politics and uh, heated arguments and controversy at this round table? We've had them. And we've had them hot and heavy, hot and heavy. But we've done this about politics, though. Uh, we've come to one agreement there, that we only run for uh, vote for a man who runs for re-election. Oh, wait a minute. No, well, that's right. That's How do you mean that? Everybody there only votes for a man who runs for re-election, because when a man runs for re-election, it means he's honest. It means he hasn't been able to put his hands on it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you were some of the uh, famous old-timers at the, at the original round table where uh, Ben Bodney told me that actually the, the, the uh, New Yorker was actually born, and when we originally planned to do this program, Harold Ross, uh, who was a member of that original round table, was to have been on the program. Well, were some of the great ones. Well, it was FPA, yeah. Franklin P. Adams. Uh, by the way, he always had a line that always made a hit with me, and it's a line I think that the whole world ought to live by. And he said, the average man is above the average. And he's mm -hmm. a wonderful yeah. line. Yeah. He wrote that. Yeah. Yeah. And he also, by the way, he fought for years as a writer on all the papers he ever worked on to put house numbers on uh, buildings so you can see them at night, so you won't get hit in the head going to the wrong numbers. He really yeah, fought for that. That isn't a bad idea. You know, did you ever see a New York City? Sure. You, you know, you, especially Brooklyn. You can go for miles and, and uh, no numbers at all. You just don't know where you, if you're looking for a number and you're afraid to ring a bell because 
Wham! Somebody gives it. <laughs> you sure you're not worried about people who can't come home and read numbers? Yeah, but you know, all the time I'm stalling on this, I'm trying to figure out who was at that table. There was Maury Riskin. Yeah. But he had an argument with Frank Case. And uh, he didn't stay, he'd been there for quite a while. Uh, but uh, there was Frank Case, Mark Connolly, FDA. Herbert Baird Swope came a lot to the table. But there was a sort of a, uh, an overlapping there, the old New York world, yeah. and this group at the round table. And when the world faded, mm-hmm. somehow or other the table faded. They were sort of a, well, I say it in its best sense, a log-rolling crowd. Mm-hmm. Everything in the new old New York world was about what each did the day before, and for all this little personal thing. It was interesting, but I don't think it struck so universal an idea. And it uh, narrowed down a little till uh, the ones who they talked about couldn't afford to buy the paper. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's a new table. How many people can sit at the table? Well, only six can sit at the table comfortably. Yeah. And I want you to believe, Tex, we've had as high as 25 to 30 sit at that table. Sitting, not under. Well, but we've had <laughs> some of them under, too. <laughs> it's okay. really pretty crowded. Well, now, Harry, while we're doing this close-up on a New York landmark, I don't think it would really be complete without the beloved boss of the desk, Mitch. Could we uh, bring him in, you think, to the room? Well, room? I think Ben Bodney would let him in here. That great Ben Bodney, I love Ben. Is this new mail owner? <laughs> Mitch, Mitch. I know he's here. Oh, come on in, Mitch. <coughs> well, I'm good to see him. Here, get in here. Get in here, Mitch. Get in close. Yeah, get right. in close. <coughs> Very glad to see you again, Mitch. How, how long have you been on the desk now? Forty-three years. Forty-three years. The whole history of this town has passed through in front of your vision. Yes, sir. Well, I tell you, uh, Harry, I'm only the guest now, so I'll sit back and watch. Well, <laughs> we've got a, a surprise for you. A watch. The surprise is you thought you were going to get an automobile. I know that. <laughs> but uh, this watch is a Boulevard Academy Award watch. And they give it to you because they really love you. But we're not going to do what a fella did to me with a watch. He gave me a watch as a present and he engraved his name so deep it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the watch, the uh, uh, this Boulevard Academy Award watch. And I think with it goes about as much love as they can give in this great city of New York. It is not a blase city. When they have to give it to people who deserve it, Mitch, they give it wholeheartedly, and they put it in writing. And it's written here, and when you get home, I don't know you're going to look at it. It goes with it much love. And, uh, and what's more, respect. Thank you, Evan. I think we all ought to applaud. Need Thank you very much, Harry, for letting me sit in as a guest. And Mitch, uh, I know it'll keep time, and I hope it keeps time for many, many years to come. Very happy New Year to you, and Anita and Alan, I hope to be here again. Well, I'm sure not on the other side of your box office. (laughs) Next time, have me. And now, I think it's time to go back up the street and around the corner and rejoin Jinx at the Hudson Theater. All right, let's play one more Texan change. This is time when I interviewed the author Robert McRae, I believe his last name was, from 
Jaws profession. Items view. Alt tab. Jaws updates available. Jaws updates available to Windows M. Desktop M. My music M. Microsoft M. My conference M. My document. Enter. Doc. One Saturday. Texan. 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 Jinx Radio 1947. Guest Robert. William B. Texan. Jinx Radio 19. Unloading Jaws. Can't. OK. Enter. Document. Scrapes. More tight spots than any person alive and a lot of them who aren't living. Well now, Bob, you're on. And incidentally, you can't talk with a cigarette in your mouth. It's tough. You're on, but tell me, the last time we met, you were strictly a photographer. But now, after reading your new book, Slightly Out of Focus, that's the title of the book, I repeat. Uh, it's not a literary criticism of the book. Slightly Out of Focus is the title. Uh, you've stopped being just a photographer. You've become a writer as well. H how do you feel about this new life of yours? Oh, Dex, I don't know. I can tell you that when my book came out, fortunately, I wasn't here. So I wasn't sweating it out at all. I was in Moscow, and I was up at the embassy, and looking through the papers, I found New York Times, the Daily Times, which had a fairly big review, which I read through about two or three times, and couldn't make up my mind if it was favorable or not. Mm -hmm. So I went home with it, and there John Steinbeck, with whom I was traveling, kind of was looking at my pains. He's had a lot of experience reading reviews of his yeah. books. How did he feel about the review of your book? Oh, he said first that um, if I want to be any intelligent or something like that, I should not read them. So I got ashamed, and I went usually in the bathroom to reread my review. <laughs> For the fifth uh, or sixth time. Yes, he was disapproving of the whole thing. But you liked that first review that was in the uh, New York Daily Times, Bob. No, I couldn't make up my mind. He was patting me on the back and kicking me some other place. But then we left shortly after, and when we got to Prague, I wanted to buy every American newspaper, sure enough eager for other kind of information and little bit seeing if my book is in it. So I found Time magazine, but my terrific surprise, Time magazine was kind of favorable. Was well, they thought you were one of the family a little bit. Yeah, but they like to be mean to the family. Oh, that's <laughs> true. That's true. So you felt better in Prague than you had oh, in Oh, in Prague, I, I was sure now I made it. But from there I had to run down to Budapest, and then I found other magazine, which again, mm-mm say that the pictures were terrific, but as a writer, I was frivolous. Oh. <laughs> so then, flying home, Gander, I found the Sunday Herald Tribune, which said that I, I was just like a kind of miniature Goya or something like that, and that made me feel terribly well. They said you were great. Oh, terribly great, and I was in every respect all right. So unfortunately, I bought the Times again, and there was the Sunday Times reviewer who declared that I was about the dullest man he ever read. Oh, how <laughs> so awful. You, I hope you kept reading the Tribune. No, what happened to me, I haven't seen a review since then. You haven't? No. John, in other words, now you're taking John Steinbeck's advice. Oh. Incidentally, I understand that, that he, we won't name the hotel where he works, but I understand that he got you out of bed this morning, cooked your breakfast... Does he do that every morning? Oh, he's writing very hard on a Russian trip, and uh, 
We work kind of together on it. He gets up earlier and cooks breakfast, can't deny that. Is John Steinbeck a good cook? Yeah, he's a very good cook. He can make sub-boiled eggs in three and a half minutes. <laughs> very good. Well, now let's get back to the story of your shooting in Russia. And by shooting, I mean photography. I don't mean being shot at or shooting at somebody. Yes, let's get back about the trip and find out about the trip. Well, now, how, how was it working in Russia? I mean, we, we on this side of the Iron Curtain, Bob, we... We get an idea that you've got 16 guys with guns looking over your shoulder every time you take a step, and then you have to battle senses to get anything through. What is it like working with a camera on the other side of the Iron Curtain? You see, you say it already twice, Iron Curtain, and uh, I don't know, I do think the main Iron Curtain is a kind of pocket Iron Curtain. Everybody's carrying it in its own head. The other Iron Curtain, I don't know, it does exist a little bit, maybe, as difficult as borders are concerned. But I didn't have much trouble. You mean you shot whatever you wanted to and, uh, and, and had no trouble with censorship? Oh, this never happens that way, you know no, that. No, it isn't. I, I'm going to say, that's too perfect. Uh, but I was last winter in Turkey to shoot a movie for March of Time. Certainly it was a county which was supposed to be friendlier disposed than Russia and they had all interest too that I get that picture through and I had certainly more difficulties to shoot in Turkey than I had in Russia. Well now how would it compare working under an American press censor during the war and Russia today? Uh, now this is again something very di uh, different and I would not compare I just brought up Turkey for no other reason than to say that there are different parts of the world where cameras and press was always a kind of taboo. And more east you get, less they like you with a camera for many, many reasons. And most of them no good. But, Bob, you said that you didn't even have the correct papers to cover all the cameras and film that you took with you on your trip to Russia. I had none, really, because... Um, we just applied for our visas and uh, here in New York, and we were in Paris when we got them. Kind of from one day to the other, we could not go to the consulate to get some special papers, and we figured that our airplane would put us down at Moscow Airport, and there will be some kind of, if not red carpet, but some small carpet laid out on which I can bring in my films. The way how it happened, we came in from Stockholm, and our airplane came down in Leningrad for custom inspection. And uh, two Russians came into the plane and opened every suitcase and asked, what is that? And I said, film. And then he said, Harasho. And I said, what's that? And I said, more film. Then he says, no. I said, da. And then looked again and thinks there are flashbulbs. So I said, no, da. And he closed everything. And that meant all right, you can come on into Russia with, with your yeah, film. Yeah, then we got to the Moscow airfield and found no carpet of any color. Indeed, nobody asked for passport or anything, but nobody was there even to take us to town. So we hitchhiked in for four days. Nobody even realized that we were there. We'd been sleeping in borrowed beds in the Hotel Metropole. After that, we kind of got somebody who came along with us and... When we asked that we wanted to go to Stalingrad, then we got to Stalingrad. 
And when we said we wanted to see Georgia, we went to Georgia. This whole thing was a great surprise to us and everybody else. But I should think because you and John Steinbeck were, were shooting pictures and writing a story for the Herald Tribune and also a book that they would have uh, planned your trip, even the Herald Tribune office in Moscow would have arranged your, your uh, moves. Uh, you are overestimating the influence of established American newspaper in Moscow because unfortunately for themselves, they cannot do anything like that. So they were rather, and rightly, jealous of our trip. I think it had much to do with maybe Steinbeck's reputation and maybe very much to do that we said from the beginning what we wanted to do, which was a very simple thing, that we just wanted to not to go into politics, but see how those people live. And we say that we are going to write and photograph everything what we see, that we are not going to be favorable or unfavorable from the beginning, but we never promise that we are going to not to say something what we want to say for or against them. No, somehow they trusted that attitude much more than people who go in saying that they are terribly favorable and become professionally unfavorable at the moment I get out. Tell me, uh, did you have much trouble getting your film out? Now, what, what, what happened when you brought all your negatives oh, back? Oh, that was a funny story because, you see, during that whole time I was trying to get a decision on censorship. And I never was told if I can bring those films out uncensored, developed, undeveloped, etc. The very last day before we left, suddenly I got a telephone call to turn all my films in to censorship. So a young man came, I gave him my films and was rather unhappy for 24 hours. Next morning on the airfield, a young man came back and he had a box and the box had strings around it and a plumb on it. A what on it? A plumb. You know, a seal. A seal. Oh. And I said, this seal you need for the border so you cannot take it off. On the border, someone will take it off of your films. So I was flying that plane with that sealed box in my hand. Uh, no, they didn't tell me if they cut something out or not. They didn't tell me if there are films in it or sand. So I shook the box. I kind of waited that figuring, is it the same weight that it was before? And I was really sweating. In Kiev, they took off the seal, and when the plane took off again in the air, I began to drag out those 3,000 negatives to try to find out what was missing. And I you found that film was in there. They hadn't replaced your film with sand. No, no, they hadn't replaced it. Most of it was in. Indeed, very little was missing, and uh, rather unimportant ones, I think, just to... To prove uh, that they could sense it. Yeah, just, you know how sensors are. I yes. certainly do. Well, Tex and Bob Kappa, here's a story that, that no censor would want to kill, and I want to tell you about it right now. Tex, did you ever have Saverin coffee in ever, anyone else's home? Sure, Jenks. Lots of times. Why? Well, wasn't it just as rich and good as it is when, when we have it at home? I thought you were going to say when you make it. Of course it was, Jenks, but what are you driving at? Well, I'm just proving that no matter who makes Saverin coffee, it's always richer tasting, and that's because Saverin is richer tasting coffee. You see, this is a cagey question, because you never know if you have a price picture or not. But because when you shoot, nearly every picture is the same to you. And the price picture is born in the imagination of editors and public who sees them. 
I had once uh, one picture which was appreciated much more than the other ones, and I certainly did not know when I shot it. It was a specially good picture. It happened in Spain. It was very much at the beginning of my career as a photographer and very much at the beginning of the Spanish Civil War. And war was kind of romantic, if you can see anything like that. No, I can't. <laughs> it was there because it was in Andalusia and those people were very green. They were not soldiers and they were dying every minute with uh, great gestures and um, they figured that was really for liberty and the right kind of fight. They were enthused. And I was there in the trench with about 20 milicianos, and those 20 milicianos had 20 old rifles. And on the other hill facing us was a Franco machine gun. So my milicianos been shooting in the direction of that machine gun for five minutes and then stood up and said, Vamonos, get out from the trench, and began to go after that machine gun. Sure enough, the machine gun opened up and moved them down. So what was left of them came back and again take shots in the direction of the machine gun, which certainly was clever enough not to answer. And after five minutes again, I said, Vamonos, and they got moved on again. This thing repeated itself about three or four times. So the fourth time, I just kind of put my camera above my head and even didn't look and clicked a picture when they moved over the trench. And that was all. I didn't develop my pictures there. And I sent my pictures back with a lot of other pictures. But I took, I stayed in Spain for three months, and when I came back, I was a very famous photographer because that camera which I hold above my head just caught a man at the moment when he was shot. So that, that was a great picture. That was probably the best picture I ever took. I never, well, saw, I never saw the picture in the frame because the camera was far above my head. Of course, there's one uh, condition that you've got to create yourself, Bob, uh, in order to get a lucky picture like that. You've got to spend a lot of time in trenches. Now, this habit I would like to lose. <laughs> yeah, I... I, I remember seeing you after you'd spent a lot of time in trenches in two or three ends of the last war, and uh, somehow you never managed to lose the habit for very long. I won't lose the habit. I hope that other people will lose the habit to create those trenches. Mm, yeah, I know what you mean. But, Bob, while we're talking about the beginning of your career, I think uh, let, let's go back to the thing that John Hersey said about you, that you're the man who invented yourself. Can you tell us that story? Yes, I just would like to say that a little bit is John Hersey who invented the man who invented himself or something like that. You see, there are so many inventions going around about me that I rather let the impression going around that the, all of them are true. That will confuse everybody. Uh, the man of mystery. You mean we're not going to get this true story from you, Bob Kappa? Oh, John wrote it already, and it's kind of corny kind of story, because sure enough, I had a name which was a little bit different from Bob Kappa. That was a long time ago in Paris, around 1934, 1935. And that real name of man, mine was not too good. You know, it was a young man, kind of just as foolish as I am now, but younger. And my own name, I couldn't get assignment anymore. And I kind of decided at that moment it's time for me to be a working man, a great photographer, etc. And I needed a new name very badly. What, what was your old name? 
Oh, it's very embarrassing for me to say something there. It began with Andre and it was Friedman. The two of them hang together and let's discard it for a minute. All right. So I was figuring on a new one and I figured that something like Robert would sound very American because that was how somebody had to sound. And figured Kappa again sounding as American or something and figured it's easy to pronounce. So Bob Kappa sounded like a good name to me. And then I invented that Bob Kappa was a famous American photographer who came over to Europe and did not want to bother with uh, French editors because they didn't pay enough. And that was a period when a lot of news happened in France, from popular came strikes, etc. So I just sneaked in with my little Leica, took some pictures and put Bob Kappa in it, which we sold for double prices. So you went around selling the work of a non-existent cameraman. Oh, I was I was uh, known as his uh, darkroom man. Oh, I see. You were his darkroom man. Yeah. The mysterious Bob Kappa. Yeah, then one day it got discovered, and since then I stayed on to be Bob Kappa, and it's quite comfortable. You just decided to stick to the name because you liked the American-sounding Bob. Is no. that how you came to America? I mean, when you picked an American name, or had you been here before? No, no, it, uh, my family was here then already, but I hadn't. So I came shortly after that to legalize my name. Indeed, about Bob is something different. I knew Robert. I didn't know that uh, Robert is Bob. Would I have known that? I don't know. <laughs> and, and even your brother, who's now a very good photographer for Life magazine, his last name is Kappa, too. Yes, he couldn't do anything about it, but he kept his first name, which is funny. Cornell. Yeah. I think that's a very funny name. That it's a good name. It comes over very well because it's the name of an American college. I don't know if uh, that makes him happy. Oh. <laughs> we'll start calling you Harvard Kappa for the rest of this program, Bob. Ooh. <laughs> Look, now, this, we, we're getting some good stories out of you. There's another one I've heard, a legend, about a well-known general and how you made him miss his Thanksgiving dinner. That happened in England before I got there, and I've always wanted to know... The true story. Yes, you were lucky because you became P.R.O. of the Air Force just about one month after that thing happened. It was in 1942 when the Air Force just got over to England. I went out to Cheltenham, it was, to take pictures of the first fortresses going over to Europe. You remember that time flying conditions were bad and we didn't have much experience, so mostly we've been staying indoors in the nice English mud and briefed in the morning and never flew. And uh, that's when I uh, got introduced to poker. Those, poker? Yes, the game of cards? No, game of skill. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> game of chance. <laughs> no, no, it's a game of skill. Okay. Man- All right, poker. <laughs> the manly art of self-destruction, yes. how we call it. Anyway, those boys had a lot of new things like high and low and the red dog and bishop's wife and things like that, which I never heard about. And I was losing uh, my expense account quite freely. The games usually lasted till early in the morning. And one morning, when it looked all right to take off, I went out with the boys and took some pictures. And those pictures somehow went through the sensor without any kind of censorship because they didn't see anything what would have been objectionable in it. One of them said there's a little black thing which I don't know anything about it in the nose, but it it looks all right. So about next week, an English magazine wanted to reprint my pictures and put on the cover the beautiful shot where I had a young man standing in the nose of the fortress, fortress behind him, and the little black thing in the nose. 
Unfortunately, the little black thing turned out to be the secret bomb site. And that day was Thanksgiving Day, and the king invited General Aker and General Spatz, who had to leave the dinner. And I was terribly much in disgrace for a long time, indeed, more than that. You mean you held up General Akers and Spots's dinner with the King of England? I had done that, and I got court-martialed, and I got court-martialed on the way that I became a legal war correspondent. But for this story, everybody will pay $3.15 to read my book. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. I'm glad. You shouldn't tell every bit of the stories, Bob, because they're so good, you should just tell the beginning, and then everyone will have to buy your book, slightly out of focus the name, and get the rest of the story. Oh, we are good friends. We are plugging like crazy here. Oh, and how. I love that name. Slightly out of focus. And, Tex, you wanted to call something just focus. Yeah, that's another story, too. But now, while we're getting stories, Bob, I think this is a, a very good story that I'd like to get without having to read your book again. The story about the last man killed in the war and the picture you took of that. Oh, yes. Uh, that was in um, just before Leipzig. It was obvious that the war was just about being over because we knew that the Russians were already in Berlin and that we had to stop shortly after taking Leipzig. And we got into Leipzig after some fight, just had to cross one more bridge. The Germans put up some resistance so we couldn't cross. And that was a big apartment building which overlooked the bridge. So I figured I'm going to get up on the last floor there and I will get a nice picture of Leipzig or something in the last minutes of fight. So I climbed up four floors and I got in a nice bourgeois apartment where on the balcony was a very nice young man, a young sergeant, who put up a heavy machine gun to cover the crossing. And uh, he was first putting out this machine gun in the window but was not comfy enough, so he just moved out on the open balcony and put up that heavy machine gun. I came out there too and kind of looked at him to take a picture of him, but God, the war was over. Who wanted to see one more picture of somebody shooting? We've been doing that same picture now for four years and everybody wanted something different. And by the time this picture would have reached New York anyway, probably the headline would have been peace. So it made no sense whatsoever. But he looked so clean-cut and... He was one of the men who looked like if it uh, would be the first day of the war. He still was earnest about it. So I said, all right, this will be my last picture of war. And I put my camera and took a portrait shot of him. And while I shot my portrait of him from two yards, he got killed by a sniper. It was a very clean, somehow very beautiful death, and I think that's what I remember most from this war. And that was the last, you think, probably the last man killed during the official war. That's right. I'm sure that there were many last men who were killed. But uh, he, could, he was the last man maybe in our sector and was just about the real end of the war. Some it was kind certainly a picture of the uselessness of war. Very much so. And for me it was certainly a picture to kind of remember because I knew that the day after people be will begin to forget. So it was a kind of clean definition. Uh, this was the last who will not forget the war. Well, Bob Kappa, we're going to try to get you back on this program again and again. I know you're talking with John Steinbeck at the Herald Tribune Forum this week, 
but we want to get in our invitation now to come back whenever you can wake up this early in the morning. Yes, and remember that everyone can read these stories and more in Bob Kappa's book, Slightly Out of Focus, and the stories of Russia, they'll have to wait for John Steinbeck's book. And Bob Kappa's pictures. Thank you very much, Bob Kappa. And now, Tex, we have a follow-up story that we talked about the other day about Orbach's new garage parking service for their customers. Yep, it's working out beautifully, a typical chapter of the Orbach story. All right, there are Tex and Jinx, three of them. 11.30 here on the West Coast, roughly. Uh, we're going to move over to Franklin McCormick, the famous Jack Armstrong announcer who later, from... Uh, from 1959 to 71, there was the voice of overnight radio out of Chicago from 11 a.m. to 5.30. Going to play a record sound like then part of his show here on Yesterday USA. So stand by. Jaws Professional. Prove music. Prove music. Alt F4, Documents, uh, William B. Will F, Fibber McGee, Las Vegas, F, F, dot S, F, 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 Frank Ressie, Spot, Frank, Frank Macrom, Frank Macrom, I love Christmas and other Zare checks. Unloading job, can't, okay, enter, document. that stop abruptly when I enter the room. I like being ordered not to buy anything more for myself after the 1st of December. Because you're so hard to buy anything for. Yes, I like Christmas. And I like to feel that God sets aside these few days near the end of the year so that busy men of business may pause and realize that there are other things in this world besides barter and trade, work and worry, hate, that love and friendship still exist. Yes, I like Christmas. The happy faces of expectant children the hustle and bustle of the crowds, the millions of dancing lights, the crunch of snow under the feet, the gaily wrapped packages, and the brightly lighted windows. Yes, I like Christmas. I like to look back over the year and silently give thanks for the friends I have known. To give thanks for the inspiration they have been to me. And to know that without them, I could have accomplished so very little. The fact that I have found this world a great place to live in, 
has been due to the thoughtfulness of others. So, I wish you the joy of Christmas, the spirit's sweet repose. I wish you the peace of Christmas to mark the old year's close. I wish you the hope of Christmas to cheer you on your way and a heart of faith and gladness to face each coming day. Yes, I like Christmas. Yesterday, USA.
music at the torch hour, one of the more quiet hours of the night. Music for your pleasure. The time, 1.31. This is WGN Radio, a Claire Channel station in Chicago. Anytime that you have a, a real king-sized thirst, and I think that's about the only way to describe that certain kind of a thirst that will be well satisfied with what I'm going to talk about. Whenever you have that king-sized thirst, stop by your neighborhood restaurant or the neighborhood tavern or the beverage store, wherever you generally buy your beer, and uh, ask the man for Meisterbrow Real Draft Beer. Here is a tremendous glass of beer. It is Real Draft Beer. Exactly the same great beer that you are accustomed to enjoying directly from the tap when you're in your favorite spot. But now it's yours to enjoy in cans and bottles that need no refrigeration until you're ready to cool it for your own pleasure. This is all due to the ingenuity, the know-how, and 73 long years of experience by the brewmasters and the officials out at the Peter Hand Brewery. Meisterbrow Real Draft Beer in cans and bottles. For your pleasure, anytime, anywhere, any place, just by opening a can or a bottle. It requires no refrigeration until you're ready to cool it for your own pleasure. And yet, it is real draft beer. And readily identified by that bright red ribbon on the label. And if you appreciate one of the many fine things of life, add to your moments of relaxation, your moments of pleasure, Meisterbrow real draft beer in bottles and cans the best. This is the Torch Hour.
let's open the old volume. I'll draw my chair a little closer to yours in the quietness of this... this restful old room where we've spent so many hours, the old study. A few pages from the treasured old volume. A thought in the night as the night grows late. Let there be many windows to your soul that all the glory of the universe may beautify it. Not the narrow pane of one poor creed can catch the radiant rays that shine from countless sources. Tear away the blinds of superstition. Let the light pour through fair windows, broad as truth itself, and as high as the heavens above. Why should the spirit peer through some priest-curtained orifice and grope along dim corridors of doubt when all the splendors of the unfathomed sea of space might bathe it with the golden waves of love? Sweep up the debris of decaying faiths. Sweep down the cobwebs of worn-out beliefs and throw your soul wide open to the light of reason, the light of knowledge. Tune your ear to all the worldless music of the stars and to the voice of nature, and your heart shall turn to truth and goodness as the plant turns toward the sun. A thousand unseen hands reach down to help you to their peace-crowned heights, and all the forces of the firmament shall fortify your strength. So be not afraid to thrust aside half-truths and grasp truth as it is. Mighty, staunch, and always. There sat two glasses filled to the brim on a rich man's table, rim to rim, one was ruddy and red as blood, and one as clear as a crystal flood. Said the glass of wine to his paler brother, Let us tell tales of the past to each other. Now I can tell of banquet and rebel and mirth, and the proudest and grandest souls on earth fell under my touch as though struck by a blight. For I was king, for I ruled it in might. And from the heads of kings I have torn the crown. From the heights of fame I have hurled men down. I have blasted many an honored name. I have taken virtue and given shame. I have tempted the youth with a sip and a taste that has made his future a barren waste. Greater, far greater than king am I, or than any army under the sky. I have made the arm of the driver fail. I have sent the train from the iron rail. I have made good ships go down at sea, and the shrieks of the lost were sweet to me. For they said, Go behold how great you be. Fame, strength, wealth, genius before you fall. For your might and power over all. So, my pale brother, laughed the glass of wine. Can you boast of deeds as great as mine? Said the glass of water to the glass of wine. No, I cannot boast of a king dethroned or a murdered host 
But I can tell of a heart once sad By my crystal drops made light and glad Of thirsts I've quenched, of brows I've laved Of hands I've cooled And souls I've saved I have leaped through the valleys Dashed down the mountains Flowed in the river and played in the fountain Slept in the sunshine and dropped from the sky And everywhere gladdened the landscape and I I have eased the hot forehead of fever and pain. I made the parched meadows grow fertile with grain. I can tell of the powerful wheel of the mill that ground out the flower and turned at my will. I can tell of manhood debased by you that I have lifted and crowned anew. I cheer, I help, I strengthen, and I aid. And I gladden the heart of man and maid. I set the chain wine captive free, and all are better for knowing me. And these are the tales that they told each other, the glass of wine and the paler brother, as they sat together, filled to the brim, on the rich man's table, rim to rim. I know as my life grows older, have clearer sight that under each rank wrong somewhere there lies the root of right that each sorrow has its purpose by the sorrowing oft unguessed but as sure as the sun brings morning whatever is is best and I know that each sinful action as sure as the night brings shade is somewhere sometime punished Though the hour be long delayed, I know that the soul is aided sometimes by the heart's unrest, and to grow means often to suffer, but whatever is, is best. I know there are no errors in the great eternal plan, and that all things work together for the final good of man. And I know when my soul speeds onward in this grand eternal quest, I shall say as I look back earthward, whatever is, is best. Whatever is, is best. There is no chance, no destiny, no fate can circumvent or hinder or control the firm resolve of a determined soul. Gifts count for nothing. Will alone is great. All things give way before it sooner or late. What obstacle can stay the mighty force of the sea seeking the river in its course or cause the ascending orb of day to wait and to delay? Each well-born soul must win what it deserves. Let the fool prate of luck. The fortunate is he whose earnest purpose never swerves, whose slightest action or inaction serves the one great aim. Even death stands still and waits an hour sometimes for such a will. A strong will. 
work out the smile, to go around, go through the running course of the day with a smile and a happy nature. Because it's part of the great plan that there are detours on the road. Some of the detours are a little rough. smile when there's something breaking in his heart. The world has fallen around his feet. His castles have all come tumbling down. There is a man to know. Oh, it's easy enough to be pleasant when life flows along like a song. But the man worthwhile is one who will smile when everything goes dead wrong. For the test of the heart is trouble. And it always comes with the years. And the smile that is worth the praises of earth is the smile that shines through tears. Oh, it's easy enough to be prudent when nothing tempts you to stray. When without or within, no voice of sin is luring your soul away. But it's only a negative virtue until it's tried by fire. And the life that is worth the honor on earth is the one that resists desire. By the cynic, the sad, and the fallen, who have no strength for the strife, the world's highway is cumbered today. They make up the sum of life. But the virtue that conquers passion, and the sorrow that hides in a smile, it is these that are worth the homage on earth, for we find them only once in a while. We find them only once in a while. The stars are bright. See, high up above the evening star. The evening star that we, we claim for our own. Always ours. Out of the million stars above. Just the one. star is lost from sight, and when the moon has disappeared, then I shall remember you. Not only now, or even when tomorrow night is gone, but every time the darkness dims and fades before the dawn, because within that hour, still at rest, I shall dream of you, and then in that hour I shall remember you best. That hour in the deep of night that brings you close to me, brings your face to me, and it gives a kind of a magic touch to every beautiful memory. Yes, I shall remember you in all the beautiful things of the past. All of the memories. All of the things that mean so much to people. Two people close together. When every star is lost. 
and even the evening star above. It was always ours, even when that is lost. I shall remember you. And I shall remember all of the beautiful things you said. And I shall remember the comfort of hours spent with you. The things that we shared. Here in the quietness of the old study. Yes, I shall remember. And someday, along that long, lone trail, I shall look for you. And I shall search for you. And someday, someday, I will find you.
Music in a few pages from the treasure roll volume for your many moods in the night. And all of this a part of the Meister Brow Showcase. Brought to us with the good wishes of the Peter Hand Brewery of Chicago. Who brew Meister Brow Real Draft Beer for your pleasure. Meister Brow Real Draft Beer has that natural flavor that you'll really enjoy. The same non-pasteurized Meister Brow that Midwesterners enjoy right from the tap when they're in their favorite spot. And this great Meister Brow draft beer requires no refrigeration until you cool it for your own pleasure. In bottles and cans, Meister Brow real draft beer. Custom brewed by folks whose experience in brewing goes way back to 1891. So look for that bright red ribbon on the label and enjoy it often. And never underestimate your weekend requirements for Meister Brown. Later today, when you do a little shopping for the things that you'll need for the rest of the weekend, or for the weekend at hand, stock up well for your moments of relaxation, your moments of pleasure. It's a great glass of beer. Meister Brown, real draft beer. Just one caress. I'm lonesome. 
Jones. That's all. Showcase, and this is the torch hour. And thus, we have completed another hour of the all night show, six and a half hours of the best of music for your pleasure. Variety of music all through the night. All with the good wishes of Meister Brow, the custom brew. Your host here, Franklin McCormick, WGN Radio, a clear channel, Chicago. WGN News is on the air. Here is the latest news brought to you by Stuckey's Pecan Shops nationwide. Here's the news at 2 a.m. The House Committee on Un-American Activities has served subpoenas on four of the 84 Americans just back from Cuba. The group left in June and July in defiance of a government ban on travel to communist Cuba. The passports of all 84 have been tentatively withdrawn. The state of Mississippi calmly took its first step toward classroom integration. At least 17 Negro first graders registered at a previously all-white school at Biloxi. The resort city is one of three school systems in the state acting under a federal court order to begin school desegregation this fall. The others are the city of Jackson and Leake County. A grand jury meets in Danielsville, Georgia, August 24th, to hear state murder charges against four Ku Klux Klansmen accused of the shotgun slaying of Lemuel Penn, a Washington, D.C. Negro educator. The FBI agreed Friday to let the state try the men if they are indicted. Crucial stages of the nation's most important labor negotiations of the year begin Monday at Detroit. General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler will present their economic contract offers to the United Automobile Workers. The company offers open the eight-week of talks for the new three-year contracts for more than a half a million automobile workers. The industry's big three said on Friday that they will make separate but almost identical statements. Senator Goldwater says that he did not intend to imply this week that President Johnson authorized the use of nuclear weapons in the Southeast Asian crisis. Instead, he accused administration officials of using fuzzy language in discussing the attack Mr. Johnson ordered in retaliation for assaults against two United States destroyers in the Gulf of Tonkin. It was learned in Washington on Friday that American forces were especially ordered to use conventional ordnance only and not nuclear weapons. Heavyweight champion Cassius Clay was wed at Gary, Indiana Friday to a pretty 24-year-old model, Miss Sonia Roy of Gary. After the ceremony, Clay set his bodyguards on news photographers trying to take pictures of the couple. Clay was wed under his black Muslim name, Muhammad Ali. A look at sports and Major League Baseball activity Friday. The Cubs split a doubleheader with Pittsburgh. They lost the opener 3-2. They took the night camp 4-2. The White Sox beat Boston 11-1. National League games, San Francisco 3, Milwaukee nothing. Houston 3, Cincinnati 2. Philadelphia took both ends of a doubleheader from the Mets 6-1 and 6-4. St. Louis beat the Los Angeles Dodgers 4-3. In the American League, Baltimore 5, the Yankees 4. Kansas City 5, Detroit 4. Minnesota 7, Cleveland 6. 
And in a doubleheader between Los Angeles Angels and Washington, Washington took the opener, 7-3. Los Angeles, the second game, 7-0. The weather after this word from Stucky's Pecan Shops.
Jaws Professional Docum Frank McSee Christmas Chris Fibber McSee Shucket KF Shucket F dot S F F Frank Red Frank 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 Friday Friday Long Long Lucy 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 Martin 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 Mary 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 Peter 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 Saturday Saturday Scar Scar Laven TV Show 1958 Guest Fred Astaire Unloading Jaw Cat Oak Enter Docket Enter June Levant and Oscar's special guest, Fred Astaire. one minute before. It's an unprecedented situation, but I quit. Uh, this is Oscar Levant, the irreligious Billy Graham of Los Angeles. And uh, I'm worn out and I can't think, talk, or breathe. And uh, what an irresistible combination of events. Uh, this is a momentous occasion for me, and I'm a little hysterical about it. And before I go on, I want to present my beautiful, lovely, and, uh, should I say, uh, poised, tolerant wife, June Levant. by George Bernard Shaw called A Doctor's Dilemma, in which a character named Dubedat uh, reminds some people of me, and you'll be happy to know that he dies in the third act. And before he dies, this is his last utterance. He says, I believe in Michelangelo, Velasquez, and Rembrandt. And these three great genius painters uh, is the simplest, unprepossessing way I can present my marvelous, historically wonderful guest, the greatest song and dance man in history, a charming, an incomparably charming man, and a great, great, great artist, Fred Astaire. Thank you very much. Hello, Hello. Hello. Thanks ever so much, Oscar. That's, uh, that's too much, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, feel that it wasn't enough. Oh, no, I don't know. Will you forgive me for one moment? Uh, Miss Ethel Barrymore, uh, through an emissary, Herbert Byers Swope, Jr., 
who is listening in tonight, I'm quite honest, she, I think, listens in. We paid her a minor tribute with Hedda Hopper last week, and she asked if I would play a little buck for her tonight, and that's the only distraction we'll have. A little bop? Bop, bach. Oh, bach. Johann Sebastian Bach. <laughs> so I shall play. I didn't know what to play. I haven't had time to play Bach, and my daughter Lorna suggested I play a little bit of the Italian concerto. You're a great friend of Ethel's, aren't oh, you? Yes, I am indeed. And you speak to her occasionally on the phone. Yes, I do. She heard you last week, and she uh, said she enjoyed it very much when you played uh, Chopin, uh, when Hedda Hopper was here. Well, she wants Bach. I'll play a little of the Italian concerto. songs than anybody of our time, including Gershwin, Kern, Berlin, Humans. Who did I leave out? Well, I don't know. Cole Porter, Cole Porter. I always leave him out. It's a terrible I'm sort of unconscious. You don't mind. I mean, I'm listening to these, you know, these very wonderful compliments. You know, me. Can I recall the first time I saw you, which was in Lady Be Good, and the first four bars I ever heard or saw you were sitting in the gallery, the first show George and Ira Gershwin collaborated on, book show. Mm -hmm. And you did this. If you hang on to me, while I hang on to you, we'll dance into the sunshine out of the rain forever and a day. Your sister Adele sang that. Yeah. Well, I sang it with her. I am suddenly mute. I just want to announce that this is a spectacular that is conceived, uh, written, and ad-libbed, rehearsed by me, and even the set is designed by me. These two stools on which Mr. Stair and my wife are sitting are from my bar, because... <laughs> Your bar? Well, we, I don't drink, but Oscar, we have a bar. Oscar's bar and grill, is that? <laughs> the truth is, Channel 13 is a Trappist monastery in disguise. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> the song that evokes the deepest memory for me was a song by George and Ira Gershwin uh, from a picture called... It's, I'm trying to refer to you. Can't take that away from me. You talk about it, would it? Oh, oh, uh, oh, yes. Um, wait, wait a minute. Um, Oh, it was, it was, uh, I never remember what pictures these Shall were. Shall we dance? Shall we dance? That's right, that's right. With Ginger. That's right. The ubiquitous Ginger. She was always with you for many years. Uh, I'm very glad to Incidentally, it also was in a picture that I was in, uh, which starred Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers. Uh, camera, move in. It's my name, not Fred's. Fred's <laughs> is always a big name. Mine is always featured. Can you see it? Take an hour. It's okay. Okay. The way you 
memory of all No, no, they can't take that away from me The way your smile just beams The way you sing off your key The way you haunt my dreams No, no, they can't Again on the bumpy road to love. Still, I'll always, always keep the memory of the way you hold your knife, the way we dance till three, the way you've changed my life. No, no, they can't take that away from me, no. That's the kind of a singer I am. I forget to breathe and I get stuck down You'll the You'll do better not breathing than most people do. Everybody does breathing. I, uh, oh. This is one of those interruptions that is hardly necessary in this uh, wonderful world we're living in. And it's a wonderful product and a, a very charming man who does these announcements. Standard Carly's. Good evening. My name is Aaron. My name is Ehrman Pessis, and I'm speaking for Standard Car Leasing, where you can get any Cadillac app of your choice by the year on a low monthly rental fee, which is much less in cost than owning your own car. Thank you. Again, I'll restore your confidence. Thank you, Mr. Levant. Mm -hmm. Crestview 488822. You know that Christopher Isherwood is writing a poem with Crestview. What's the number? Well, I'm, I wrote a poem, too, for I don't want to hear your poem. I have no time. Mr. Isherwood, you'll pardon me. Uh, I'll discuss your poetic talents uh, some remote time. Uh, after the show, I'll apologize. Uh, I'm in a hurry because Mr. Astaire, who usually gets $300,000 for an appearance, incidentally, it's his first appearance on television, as far as singing is concerned, and naturally he chose me because he not only is not getting anything from me, not the $300,000, but he needs... Uh, What's the name of that commercial we have? Executive toilet water. He has no after shaving lotion, and he hasn't enough time to go to a drugstore, and that's why he's here. One other thing read about Barclays. Uh, it's being shown this week on KTTV, Channel 11, and if it's not on the night I'm on, look at it. I saw the uh, trailer. We were great in it. I liked it. I loved uh, Barclays. It was swell picture. Joan, uh, tell about how Mr. Astaire came uh, to visit us about this show. Yeah. Well, uh, yesterday morning, um, I was in bed, and I heard the... Wait, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I was in bed, and I heard the, bell, the doorbell ring, and, and the maid was 
didn't show up yesterday morning. Well, I broke her arm. I haven't had coffee in three days. And uh, Oscar was playing the piano. I heard him downstairs, so I put my robe on, and I ran downstairs, and I opened the door, and there was Fred Astaire, and he was singing The Way You Wear Your Hat. I was practicing it on the way it in and out. Just on the doorstep. It was just so wonderful. <laughs> Is that what you want me to tell? And I said, don't look at me. <laughs> Anyway, that's what he... Uh, they can't take that away from him. The, your unmade face. Uh, <laughs> let's get on, uh, Fred. Oh. In that same show, the first show I saw was Lady Be Good. Did you sing this? Lady Be Good? Uh, no. No, uh, my sister, Adele, did that with, with Walter Catlett. Walter Catlett sang it. He was a wonderful comedian. Oh, yeah. Can yeah. you recall the way he sang it? Well, he was the old... Uh, oh, sweet... Oh, I mean, just like that. Oh, do a few bars. Well, I... Oh, sweet and lovely lady. I mean, God, this is, you know, I don't, <laughs> the pipes are bad enough. Now, let's not... No, that's well. Now, Let me, uh... Uh... Oh, sweet and lovely lady, be good. Oh, lady, be good to me. I am so only misunderstood. So, lady, be good to me. Castle. 
We're doing, what's your name on that radio television show? My name is Cody Williams. Oh, uh, tell, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Only the real uh, Cody Williams has to tell the truth. <laughs> uh, Fred, you may be miffed at what I'm going to suggest. You know, uh, Ira Gershwin told me last night that Sam Goldwyn, on kind of your presence here tonight, was going to look in. I know that's an overwhelming honor, but bear up. Uh, and he is a great old producer. He's the greatest pioneer producer left. He's a distinguished, wonderful producer who's had wonderful, magnificent pictures, and he survived every era. And uh, I know you know him well. He complained about your reluctance to visit lately. What? So I'm going to order you to do something. I'm going to go right now. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to imitate Mr. Goldwyn. You know, you appeared in the last two scores that George, and George Gershwin wrote, uh, uh, Shall We Dance and Damsel in Distress with Joan Fontaine. And there was one other score after he died, which was the Goldwyn Follies, which Mr. Goldwyn produced. And in this show, in this picture, was the last song George Gershwin ever wrote, which was Our Love Is Here To Stay. And please, and I order you, try to do, not try, do an imitation of Mr. Goldwyn in the event he sang a song. He doesn't sing, as you know, but imagine yeah. this. But what, 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 may I get this? You want me to, to, uh, to give an imitation of Sam singing that song? This marvelous, oh, Oscar. wonderful Sam. Oh, please. Sam, help me. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> so I, I don't know the words. I have written now. Sam knows I love him very much, and uh, I know Sam has a great sense of humor. Sam. We'll have to. Oh, Sam, please. I wrote these lyrics because right. uh, Mr. Stair never has sung this song. I find it impossible to refuse anything Oscar asked me to do, so that's what, uh... You know, great man's all... Anyway. It's very clear <laughs> Our love is here to stay Not for a year but ever and a day. The radio and the telephone and the movies that we know may just be passing fancies and in time may go. But oh my dear, our love is here to say. Huh? You know what I mean? <laughs> Together we Going a long, long way. I want to do good pictures, Oscar. In time, the Rockies may crumble. Gibraltar may tumble. They're only made of clay. I think I'll have a role for you in my next musical, Oscar. But our love is here to stay. Call Jean Negolesco and we can play some croquet afterwards, huh? If you don't want to play croquet, we can play some gin. Oh, well, you'll see. Anyway, in time the Rockies may crumble, Gibraltar may tumble, they're only made of clay, but our love is here to stay. Oh, wow. oh, you, you are a one. 
Unfortunately, many of our audience doesn't know uh, the gregarious Sam Goldwyn because it's impossible to meet him. He lives uh, like a next king of Spain. Uh, we will now have Anderson uh, uh, for headaches, toothaches, and anything that I create by my being on the show. It's a cure for anything I do. How do we go on? Oh, uh, on the way into the studio, I drove Mr. Astaire down, and we walked in. The sole of my shoe uh, started to <laughs> flop around and flap around, and uh, it was surgically removed. But this is a memento. I'm going to send this to Adlai Stevenson uh, for him when he runs in 1960, and uh, he needs all the help he can get. <laughs> I hate to evoke sentimentality, but actually, I like nothing better. But a, a wonderful friend and a great man a friend of Mr. Astaire's, June, and my own, is going to celebrate, I think, as the songwriter says, he's going to hit 70th Street. You know who I'm talking about. Take it. Irving? Yeah, yeah. Irving Berlin? Um, yes, his birthday is on the, on the 9th, isn't it? Of May. May of May, yeah. He's going to hit 70th Street and Broadway. Yeah. And um, you're hitting, uh, I'm, I'm hitting Herald Square. No, Herald Square! <laughs> on, on the 10th. <laughs> the it's day Mr. following. Mr. birthday. Oh, I'm lying a little bit. We get up around Columbus Circle. That's it. Well, right on the nose. Isn't it, it is. I'm in a 59th Street. That's quite May a circle. I have to explain that to a few people. Don't listen to you. Well, what street is it? The songwriters in Lydia. 59th Street. Yeah, when you're 59 years old, you're on 59th Street. <laughs> and Mr. Berlin will be on 70th Street. And uh, another birthday is May 6th. Uh, Tchaikovsky, uh, my mother made me crazy with her love for Tchaikovsky. And uh, fortunately, no, all right. That's enough about Tchaikovsky. Uh, June uh, and Fred, on Connor, Mr. Berlin, I'm going to ask Fred to do a song. I don't think it was a big hit, the Change Partners and Dance, was it? Well, I think it was played a lot. It was, it was always a, a, a favorite of mine. I, I think it's a marvelous lyric. You like it? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, the whole tune and everything about it, I like very much. What picture was it? Oh, dear. Carefully, Here we go. Carefully. carefully, that's right. June, uh, just before we go in, the Berlins were, are very good friends of ours. Uh, just talk about Mr. and Mrs. Berlin a little. Well, uh, Oscar had known the Berlins for many years, and uh, when we got married, they were terribly sweet to me. And Ellen... Unlike uh, me, yes. Well, uh, no, but come, going to New York to live, and uh, Ellen Berlin is really a, a wonderful woman. She's very intelligent and writes extremely well, and I had enormous admiration and respect for her. And she used to give me lots of advice, which I took because um, uh, it was very good. And uh, they had three daughters. And, uh, still have, I'm glad to see That's right. And uh, she did say, I remember when we first married, she said to me, now, June, she said, Irving and Oscar should only have daughters. After all, they're not mechanical-minded, and they don't like to make little airplanes and, and kick footballs around. And it's very good for them to have daughters. And uh, so I took advice, and we had three daughters. And um, as a matter of fact, Irving was tr tried to be helpful, too, because he'd always uh, suggest names for the girls when they were born. And it always seemed to be the, the names of his own daughters that he'd suggest. And it was sort of a coincidence that our oldest daughter, their daughters are named uh, Mary Ellen, Linda, and Elizabeth. And uh, by coincidence, really, our oldest daughter is named Marcia, and our middle daughter is named Lorna. But by the time we had the third one, I was wildly independent, and I named her Amanda, which had nothing to do with 
Actually, June wanted to name all three Amanda, and I wasn't in favor of the name, and I said before Amanda, who's a wonderful little girl, before she was born, I said, even if it's a boy, you can call him Amanda. I was no girl. <laughs> yes, that's what the doctor said to me when I, when I got a girl. He said, well, you didn't get the boy, but you got Amanda. Amanda's worth That's great. my daughters. I wouldn't trade for all the boys, although they would. But well, I mean, they should like boys. I don't happen to. Uh, uh, let's do. Uh... <laughs> there I go again. The trumpets blow. Must you dance every dance? With the same fortunate man, can't you see? You've danced him. Now, once more, start. Must you dance every dance with the same fortunate man? You have danced with him since the music began. Won't you change partners? And dance with me. Must you dance quite so close with your lips touching his face? Well, can't you see I'm longing to be in his place? Won't you change partners and dance with me? To sit this one out, and while you are alone, I'll tell the waiter to tell him he's wanted on the telephone. You've been locked in his arms ever since heaven knows when. Won't you change partners and then? You may never want to change partners again. important moment of tonight, a station break. They seem to think this is momentous, however. <laughs> Relax. There just isn't any place to dance, Oscar. You know, I mean, uh, I, I'd, I'd do anything for you, but I, I swear, you know, old dad here, whenever a dance routine comes up, he uh, begins to fume and fret and worry, and I just don't want to look too bad. I'd do anything for you but dance tonight, you know. Well, I'm going to press on because at this moment, <laughs> what's the use of kidding? The whole world is waiting for this moment for you to dance, oh. and the whole world, as far as this station is concerned, goes as far as Bakersfield. <laughs> You know that we're going to be recognized as the 49th state someday. Uh, anyway, please, please dance. And I'm going on my broken, torn ligament knees to beg you. I won't dance.
Don't ask me, I won't dance. Don't ask me, I won't dance. Oscar for you. Oh, really, I mean, uh, you know, this this was this was a, a lyric about a girl. Or I sang it to a girl, a little girl named Ginger. And uh, I better start over again. And, and you know, yeah. I was in a picture with you and Ginger, as I mentioned before, yeah. Barclays. Yeah. And you know, during that picture, the music. Barclays. Barclays uh, uh, on Broadway. Barclays. Huh? The Barclays of Broadway. You're the first man who ever dared correctly in public. I'm <laughs> <laughs> getting it out. <laughs> but at any rate, if you remember, Ginger had this maternal compulsion, which I've never had since, uh, where she brushes the cigarettes and the dandruff, the only relic of middle age I have, uh, and other uh, things that seem to accumulate on my clothes. And it annoyed me, and I once pushed her arm away. Uh, did she ever do that to you? What? You mean... Oh, yeah, I, I always had a lot of dandruff, you know, and she, uh... She <laughs> you are for those dandruff days. <laughs> I don't, I don't oh, brush you off. I, I run the vacuum cleaner over you. So. <laughs> <laughs> While we're on the subject of you and Ginger, may I stand, uh, Mr. Flanagan, head of Channel 13? <laughs> I want to relax. Uh, you know, the series of pictures you did with Ginger at Occhio are really have become a historical series. As a matter of fact, they're playing every museum in the world right now. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and uh, I would be very curious to know your opinion uh, of your favorite picture, that wonderful series. Well, my, my favorite, uh, I'm hard to figure out favorites, you know. Each one that we, we did, I always thought might have been the best one. I didn't know, but uh, looking back on it, I think maybe I like Top Hat. It might be the favorite of the By Irving Berlin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, my favorite was Irene and Vernon Castle, the story of. Well, I, I, I must say I like that one, too. That was a more serious story than uh, anything we, we did. What was your favorite, June? My favorite? Uh, well, actually, I, I love all these, their pictures, but I think I'm slightly prejudiced. I, I preferred the Barclays of Broadway because you were in it. That good night, everybody. Talk to them all. The Jack Benny Program. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I... But, but, Roy, I can't ask Mr. Benny for the day off because he ain't here. Jaws Professional anyway, Jack Benny TV mood, Show 3011-1958 with Oscar Levin Dash OF4 Internet Explorer Ad Close Enter The new one dash stop yesterday you Jaws Professional Documents Documents Explore OF4 Alt Tab Jaws Update Alt Tab Documents Items View Multi Select OF4 Jaws Update Alt Tab Sound Forge Pro Escape Escape. Zero. Enter. Zero point oh. Enter. Zero point oh. Menu. A. Leaving menus. Data window. Sound one star. Save as dialogue. File name colon. Sound one. Edit. A set of S A T U R D A Y N I G A T eight dash two seven dash one six dot I T eight P A T R I C I A G U E S T N O L A N K E N N E R Save, save, enter, data window, type in text, 0.025 seconds. Jaws Professional, Patricia from FL Hall, Alt F4.
Alt tab. Skype trademark left rat. Alt F4. Skype trademark left rat. Alt F4. Bill Bragg. Type a mess. Alt F4. Alt tab. Registration. Alt tab. Replay. Alt tab. Sound Forge Pro 11.0.